Catherine, how are you? I'm okay. Uh, the mic is, I'd give it a 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10 today. My mic is offended. You need to, seriously, you need to get an iPhone. And stop shilling for iPhones. Catherine, you don't have an iPhone? No, she uses an Android like a pleb. Nick, stop judging me. <laughs> oh my god. An Android? Yeah. It's a flagship. <laughs> how was, uh, Nelson, how was the space yesterday with, uh, I think it was Robert Malone? Oh, Robert Kennedy. Oh my god. Oh, Robert Kennedy, my bad. Mario, man, I, I, I wish I wish you could have come in, but uh, you know I know you had a space, man. It was, it was insane. You know, Nick came on the tail end, but I mean, dude, a lot of the information being dropped was mind blowing, mind blowing, brother. So it was great. It's great, man. Ian, nice profile photo. Thank you. I was adding you to the space, and I'm like, I see Ian. I'm like, is he suspended because he's not coming up? <laughs> I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> Now, I, I, I know how you look like this. The same profile photo, but it's black and white. Uh, no, no, it's a different one. I just took it like yesterday. Thank you, iPhone. Oh, so we you got know, another. Can take pictures too. I'm just saying. <laughs> we we got another seven minutes for the drop. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. Yes. Uh, assuming Someone... he's on time, which I do not expect him to be because he's never on time. What What do you expect this one to be, Ian? Honestly, I don't know. Like, I mean, it could tie into the whole Facebook thing that came out yesterday. I don't know if you're paying attention to Michael Schellenberger, but I saw the yeah. Facebook files are out. Basically, the Facebook files. We should, we might want to go over those as well. Uh, they were disclosed in the lawsuit. Yeah, maybe. With, uh, I, I think. Yeah, yeah. Can you maybe kick off the like? Give, let's give it another few minutes, and then maybe you can kick off in like four minutes. Yeah. The face. Oh no! What, what about we do the Twitter files in seven minutes? Because not much time. We do Twitter files, first and then we'll read the Facebook files. About that, yeah. I think uh, maybe have your. Yeah, yeah. But can you them. give us like? Yeah. Um, my suggestion. Go. Have you read them yet? No, no, I've not. They're quite. There's a lot of it to go through. But Michael Schellenberger has like a like a like a few tweets on it. So check his Twitter account. He, he should have some preliminary information on it. Yeah, that Missouri lawsuit. Bre- blockbuster for uh, this issue it's going to be i mean this thing is just starting to explode i think keep pressing it uh maybe get some real light on things and and get people to understand what the heck's going on here can can you tell us more a bit more about the lawsuit jim jim can you hear me yeah i I got it sorry yeah yeah. can you tell us a bit more about the uh the lawsuit yeah just just a little bit um they the missouri attorney general uh, was uh, actually a very, well, a lawsuit to try to get very similar information to what we're seeing in the Twitter files related to uh, cutting people off. And um, so they they actually got discovery. I mean, that's kind of where it's at. I don't think the lawsuit's completed yet. Maybe you know that, Ian, and I don't, but no, it's, it's not completed going. yet. It's they, only discovery right now. They, yeah, it's this is just stuff that came out of discovery, which is, by the way, just as good as whatever the outcome of the lawsuit is. Because what we're finding out is that everything that uh, we're seeing in the Twitter files is, I mean, this is it's almost identical stuff with Facebook. It doesn't have quite as much depth as we're getting out of the Twitter files, but it indicates that there that you know what we already I think suspect that the same things going on over there has has been going on here. Yeah, but a bigger deal uh, actually, because uh, I just read one uh, Facebook thing, but. 
a, a really huge deal to me was that it said that um, instead of censoring for misinformation, first of all, it's the White House and the directive that they gave is to censor or shadow ban or would you boost whatever you want to call it, um, actual true information that leads to vaccine hesitancy. I think that's quite a significant thing because now they're not even looking at misinformation, but true information that they acknowledge is true, uh, but that does not serve a particular agenda, um, you know, whether you agree with it or not. And I think that is a pretty significant difference. So uh, worth noting. Yeah, so this is a, an example of agenda, agenda based. So it's no longer misinformation now. It's you, you don't have to disagree with the agenda to disagree with the with the with the concept of agenda based censorship, because let's say the agenda is even if you agree with the agenda, when does it get out of control? Who determines what that agenda is? So uh, it's fascinating. So that's you're referring to the Facebook files, correct, Catherine? Yeah, exactly. And it ties back to the conversation we had yesterday in the space, which was about that noble lie, because in their minds, they may well think, well, this is for the best. We get as many people vaccinated, so we save lives. And so we want to decrease vaccine hesitancy. So we want to block this information. But, you know, but the in the process, they are blocking true information that's a distinct difference and again it's being it's being quasi or, or absolutely anywhere between quasi directed or absolutely directed by the white house now th this is a severe violation of the first amendment there is no uh, there's nothing anywhere that should be allowed from the federal government to do anything to put a, a prior restraint on speech of any sort, either implicitly or explicitly. And that, that one uh, thing that Catherine's referring to was an explicit uh, direction and cooperation with Facebook on that matter. So, what? And, and by the way, one thing to throw in here, don't forget that uh, no one quite knew the depth of what this situation was at Facebook when Mark Zuckerberg on Joe Rogan's program mentioned that the FBI had come to them. He kind of sort of nebulous. In fact, when you listen to what he said there, it sounded like he caught himself and, and pulled back a little bit. Well, now we know that it was a very deep issue. Like the, the coordination was deep, substantive and regular. And, and that's a real problem that takes freedoms away from people. Well, I'd well, like in to another, uh, sorry, sorry about that cat. Um, I, I'd like to push it in another direction, too, because we all know Pfizer was buying ads on TV. They were basically investing in lots of marketing. And as far as I know, I think that they bought ads on Twitter as well as on Facebook and were heavily invested in it. But then, furthermore, when it goes to the White House, uh, you know, weighing in and leaning on people to basically be censored about all this information, at least the vaccine hesitancy, the White House spent $5 billion in taxpayer funds to subsidize vaccine doses, all of which came from Pfizer. And Pfizer was a key stakeholder in that. You know, Johnson Johnson wasn't given the same consideration. Moderna wasn't. It was Pfizer. And most of the censorship comes on behalf of Pfizer. So it's all circular. Whether or not you believe it was altruistic, whether or not you believe that people in the government thought that they could save, you know, the world by doing this, by getting people vaccinated, there's a financial motive that ended up going back to the White House using taxpayer funds to censor one of our First Amendment rights on what is supposed to be a platform or avenue for free speech, especially in a time where we're locked down. Yeah, 
Go ahead, Nelson. Well, I, actually, I was going to bring up, I think that's a really strong point, Malcolm. But one thing I wanted to sort of ask Jim about is, you know, and, uh, and, my, and it, yourself it as well. Is, no, I no, dropped no, or? No, the, oh, yeah, oh, the it's, drop it's about one. Russiagate. Oh, shit. All right. Ian, you ready? Yes. You've already got 22 tweets on it, so. He just yeah. Oh, there you go. He did it. He did it. He did it. Is that all of it? You think, or he's going to be more of it? But he's just dropping in big bulks. I think he's dropping them in chunks. Yes. Let me. Uh... Oh, let's kick it off, Ian. Yeah, okay. yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you prep. Yeah. Prep yourself, Catherine. I'll let you finish what you're saying. Yeah, Ian, best to read it out for us. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'll just say this. Um, so with the White House, I mean, I had, uh, they were pretty transparent from the very beginning, because I wrote about this, that the White House was, you know, issuing these, uh, requests to d- the different social media platforms. And, you know, a lot of people were perfectly okay with that. So where, where is this a violation of the first right amendment, uh, for them to be doing it if it's sort of voluntary? Cause, and it's kind of the same issue with the Twitter file where, you know, these agencies are going to uh, these social media platforms as well. And if they're not saying, well, you have to do it or else, I think this, I personally think the the threat is sort of implicit. Uh, but, you know, legally speaking, I do wonder what, what you know, basis for losses. So you think, you think, you think they were legally, they were careful in not asking those social media platforms to take action, but they're like, hey, we recommend X, Y, Z. But right, we did see, we did see... Too, they could, they, but we did see from previous Twitter files that it was it went a bit, not a bit, a fair bit beyond just recommendation, and it was in almost what way? like coercion. But Ian, you remember Ian when we were reading through them, and it was, it was like constant follow-up. So coercion, yeah. yeah like so that, a, like the, a, you know, like unspoken coercion. Essentially, there was first of all there was monetary benefit. They were paid three point five million dollars to do the whole Russia Gate thing. Uh, that was you know a stipulation there. And furthermore, I mean, you, you, there was the um, there was the State Department, which its organization—I forget exactly the name of it—was uh, leaking information to the press to make Twitter look bad, to make all these social media companies look bad by feeding bad information to the press, right? About about the uh, instances of Russian disinformation campaigns. Now, none of that was true, but it didn't matter because these uh, uh, publications like NBC News would run it. And that would would force Congress to start pressuring uh, social media companies and threaten to take away their Section 230 protections. That was extremely dangerous for these social media companies. They had to act, otherwise Congress would But can it stand in court, I guess, is the question. Right. Cause I agree with all of that. I think, I think the threat is completely there. It's just. Can it have a legal basis? I mean, I don't think it's a legal issue. I think this is something that Congress has to deal with. That's what, you know, uh, the, the, the church style committee is about, right? The one that was just founded to, to deal with the three letter agencies and their, um, you know, uh, uh, suspension of free speech and social media. That's what the whole thing's about. So, I mean, we're going to find out in the coming months, like what can be done about this, right? This has to be a bipartisan committee. Uh, this can't be something that is just, you know, Republicans because that means it's very easy to shut down because it needs support from Democrats as well. And uh, fortunately, there are Democrats who are concerned about this, right? I think, I forget the guy's name, is the New York guy, um, you know, who uh, who is uh, uh, co, 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 what's his face? Um, you know who I'm talking about. The one who spoke out against censorship online, right? Like he, uh, Roe, Roe, yeah, that's a Roe something. Uh, he, uh, 
you know, he may be on the committee, and that that'd be a good thing. Anyway, I'd like to start reading. Rokana. Yeah, Rokana. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'd like to start reading the. Yeah, let it kick off. Yeah, let it kick it off. For you. Say this. All right. So it's uh, I think it's about 40, 40 long, forty tweets long. Can you hear me first before you kick it off, Ian? Can you hear me yeah, fine? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Yeah, don't, don't switch your phone or anything. It's perfect. All right, so uh, number one, thread. Twitter files number 14, the Russiagate lies. Uh, one, the fake tale. So, oh, it looks like there's like a part one of this. This is a multi-part uh, release here. So uh, the Russiagate lies. One, the fake tale of Russian bots and the hashtag release the memo hashtag. Uh, at a crucial moment in a years-long furor, uh, Democrats denounced a report about the flaws in the Ru- Trump-Russia investigation, saying it was boosted by Russian bots and trolls. Twitter officials were aghast, finding no evidence of Russian influence. Quote, we are feeding congressional trolls. Quote, not any significant activity connected to Russia. Quote, putting the cart before the horse, assuming this is propaganda slash bots. So Twitter was pushing back against this, and this was an email sent by Twitter uh, to, let's see, I'm going to zoom in. It was sent to the Honorable Diane Feinstein and the Honorable... Uh, Honorable uh, Adam Schiff, and uh, the, the email is j- uh, dated January 26, 2018, and it reads as follows. Dear Senator Feinstein and Representative Schiff, uh, thank you for your letter regarding the trending hashtags and concerns over Russian disinformation efforts. Mr. Dorsey has asked me to respond to the issues you have raised. Twitter is deeply committed to protecting the integrity of the democratic process, and we value Congress's interest in understanding the role of social media in Russian disinformation efforts. As we have indicated previously, Twitter has conducted an extensive inquiry into Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. election. We also continue to strengthen in our fight against malicious automation and coordinated efforts to manipulate the Twitter platform. As we have also indicated previously to Congress, our work in addressing such activity has yielded significant progress over the last few years. For example, as a key component of this work, Twitter has established a dedicated information quality team which focuses on uh, enhancing the strategies we use to detect and stop bad automation, improve machine learning to spot spam, and increase the precision of our tools designed to prevent such content from contaminating our platform. With respect to our analysis and particular hashtags, we welcome the opportunity to share with the committee some initial findings on this issue. And this is the part where he highlighted in yellow, he he writes, We performed a preliminary analysis on the available geographical data for the tweets of the hashtag, hashtag release the memo. Our initial inquiry, based on available data, has not identified any significant activity connected to Russia with respect to tweets posting original content to this hashtag. And um, there's an email that was sent by, I'm not sure who exactly, uh, that was sent to Colin Krull and to Lauren Culbertson at Twitter, as well as Carlos Monge and Nick Pickles. It reads, uh, I think Lauren is right too. He's putting the cart before the horse and assuming this is propaganda slash bots. Could you tell him that our very preliminary assessment is that much, if not most of this is organic activity and ask him to please uh, let us understand the facts before jumping ahead to addressing how to remedy it. So uh, yeah, they were kind of upset with Congress for basically jumping to the conclusion that uh, there were Russian bots. There's none. And what year, what year was this in? Because my Bluetooth cut out for 2018. This was in January 26, okay. 2018. And my cat keeps playing with me. Um, Matt Taibbi continues. Twitter warned politicians and the media not uh, that, uh, that they uh, not only lacked evidence, but had evidence the accounts were not Russian and were roundly ignored. So Twitter was ignored. So on January 18, 2018, Republican Devin Nunes submitted a classified memo to the House Intel Committee detailing abuses by the FBI 
in obtaining FISA surveillance authority uh, against Trump-connected figures, including the crucial role played by the infamous Steele dossier. And this is an uh, an unclassified document that was sent by Devin Nunes. Do you want me to read this whole thing? This is quite big, and I, I think this is... Uh, no, I don't think. I, I don't think so. We could, what we could do is we could read it at the end and summarize it. Right. Uh, like we could read it ourselves internally and summarize. Yeah, it essentially, the this is stuff that that's already public, right? This is stuff we already know about how Devin Nunes submitted a classified memo to the House Intel Committee about basically FBI abusing its, uh, you know, powers to uh, surveil Trump and his people. Like I think they wiretapped the Trump Tower, for instance, and you know that turned out to be a bust, right? It was all based on the Steele dossier, which, as we now know, was a hoax. So uh, Matt Taibbi continues, he says, the Nunes assertions would virtually all be verified in a report by the Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz in December of 2019. That's why, you know, after they, uh, they went after Trump, they found that none of this added up, right? It didn't make any sense. Nonetheless, national media in January and early February of 2018 denounced the Nunes report in oddly identical language, calling it a joke. And uh, he posts four screenshots here, one's from MSNBC, which has, um, what's her face, um, uh, Joy Reid, saying that it's, Joy yeah, saying two ex-DOJ officials on Nunes memo, a bad joke. Uh, the Hill reported uh, by an article, uh, something uh, that was uh, Andrea Mitchell, who's a commentator, saying Nunes has turned the House Intel Committee into a joke. Uh, and an opinion piece on the Washington Post written by Greg Sargent and um, Paul uh, Waldman says the Nunes memo is out. It's a joke and a, and a sham. Right. So they all have the same thing. And then there's an article. I'm not sure from where this is. Uh, it says XRNC chairman rips the Nunes memo for the joke. It is the onion is mad that you're stealing their material. So like everybody was on the same page. Basically, you know, this, these are like Intel committee people, you know, Intel community people who are putting out the same um, message just to shut down the Nunes memo. All Now we now know that it was not a joke and that Nunes was completely correct. So. On January 23rd, 2018, Senator Dianne Feinstein and Congressman Adam Schiff published an open letter saying that the hashtag, quote, gained the immediate attention and assistance of social media accounts linked to Russian influence operations. This is a pretty long email and it's kind of illegible. Like, I, I can't actually zoom in. It's not properly posted, but there's a, you can find it on Dianne Feinstein's page where the title of it is Feinstein Schiff request Twitter and Facebook to conduct investigation of Russian bot activity in the hashtag release the memo campaign. This was basically their way of shutting it down, right? And Matt continues, he says, Feinstein and Schiff said the Nunes memo distorts classified information, but note they did not call it incorrect. And uh, the screenshot here says, specifically on Thursday, January 18, 2018, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, or the HPSCI, majority voted to allow members of the U.S. House of Representatives to review a misleading uh, talking points memo authored by Republican staff that selectively references and distorts uh, highly classified information. The rush decision to make this document available to the the full House of Representatives was followed quickly by calls from some quarters to release the document to the public. So they didn't like the fact that the public wanted this released, and they claimed that the Russians wanted it released. Now, obviously, there was no Russian involvement in this at all. This was simply a lot of conservatives and, I would suppose, libertarians on Twitter saying, hey, release the memo because we want to read it. Uh, number 10, Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal followed suit, publishing a letter saying, we find it reprehensible that the Russian agents have so eagerly manipulated innocent Americans. And again, this is another uh, pretty illegible screenshot here, but it's also something you can find on Senator Richard Blumenthal's website. 
So Feinstein, Schiff, Blumenthal, and media members all pointed to the same source. The Hamilton 68 dashboard created by former FBI counterintelligence official Clint Watts under the species of the Alliance for Securing Democracy. That's ASD. Uh, so uh, there's a screenshot here. Basically, they're all pointing to the same source, calling it Russian disinformation. And it goes as follows. It says hashtag Russian, sorry, hashtag release the memo is now a top trending hashtag among Russian bots and trolls on Twitter and other platforms, according to the German Marshall Fund's Hamilton 68 website, which tracks Russian influence campaigns. Quote, I have never seen a single hashtag that had this amount of activity behind it, said Brett Schaefer, an analyst who helps to run the Hamilton 68 dashboard, a project for the Alliance for Securing Democracy at the German Marshall Fund. It tracks about 600 accounts that it says are tied to Russian-sponsored influence and disinformation campaigns, and most of these accounts were promoting the same meme on Friday. Hashtag release the memo is a top trending hashtag amongst Twitter accounts linked to Russian information operations, according to Hamilton 68, a website launched last year that says it tracks Russian propaganda in real time. So these are like four different articles. They're all kind of saying the same thing. They're all quoting the same guy. Um, four emails, uh, sorry, three emails from Blumenthal, Schiff, Feinstein and media members all basically regurgitating the same point, claiming that it's Russian disinformation, although Twitter itself can't exactly find any sort of evidence that it is, right? It's literally a think tank that is making this claim that it's Russian disinformation. Of course, it's a you know, Democrat think tank. Let's, uh, let's be clear on that. So Matt continues he's in number 12. He says, the dashboard, which featured a crude picture of Vladimir Putin deviously blowing evil red Twitter birds into the atmosphere, was vague in how it reached its conclusions. This was um, this was produced by the Alliance of Securing Democracy. They literally put out edge prop, right, trying to say that uh, 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 Vladimir Putin's behind this whole thing. Now, inside of Twitter, executives panned Watts, Hamilton 68, and the Alliance for Securing Democracy. Two key complaints. Hamilton 68 seemed to be the only source, and no one was checking with Twitter. No one cared what Twitter had to say. This was just Hamilton 68 saying something and everybody else running with it, the media, uh, politicians, and so on. Quote, I encourage you to be skeptical of Hamilton 68's take on this, which, as far as I can tell, is the only source for these stories, said Global Policy Communications Chief and future White House and NSC spokesperson Emily Horn. She added, it's a comms play for ASD. So basically, even, you know, people within uh, within the Democrat ranks are a bit iffy about this whole thing, right? Um, and the email says... Uh, thanks both. This is a comms but for the ASD. They've made a very strong media push last week, piggybacking on Clint's testimony. We should have a separate discussion uh, about if, if, when, and how uh, we confront ASD privately with our knowledge of their flat, a uh, flawed methodology uh, and dashboard, and seek help uh, to seek to help them reorient in a more accurate direction. Or do we address it in our response to Schiff and Feinstein? This was a this was sent by uh, Emily Horn, uh, who I guess now works for the White House. But like at the time, she was you know pretty concerned that Twitter didn't know really how to respond to uh, these politicians. And in an off-the-record email, she said, I encourage you to be skeptical of Hamilton 68's take on this, which, as far as I can tell, is the only source for these stories. Hamilton 68 does not release the accounts that make up their dashboard, so no one is able to verify the accounts they include uh, are, in fact, Russian automated accounts. And number two, it is extraordinarily difficult for outside researchers who do not have access to a full API and internal account signals to say with any degree of certainty that an account they believe is behaving suspiciously is, one, automated, or two, Russian. If you speak with them, I encourage you to press uh, on how they can both uh, they can be sure that both of these claims, when they do not have access to internal signals and data. So, like these people were just basically making shit up, right? 
They're just making shit up. Schrodinger's Russians. Yeah, Schrodinger's Russians. Right? Everybody's a Russian. You disagree with them, you must be a Russian. Uh, number 15. All this world is based on Hamilton, said the trust and safety chief, Yule Roth. And here's the email that he wrote to a bunch of uh, Twitter employees. He wrote, he writes, another thought. Uh, is now the time to go public with the fact that any given user counts uh, once towards a trend? Given the all the swirl around hashtag release the memo is based on Hamilton, which, you know, Hamilton 68, which is based on a raw tweet count, we'd be able to broadly refute it without actually sharing anything too sensitive. I'd suggest something along the lines of uh, we've built many protections into our trending algorithms, including one uh, only counting any given user once towards a trend. Tweeting repeatedly would not cause a topic or uh, to trend. So, like, essentially, if you, you know, you tweet a million times to do a single topic, it's not going to trend. It's only going to count as one. Um, we saw approximately X unique users tweeting with this trend for whom uh, the average number of tweets posted were Y. Most users posted fewer than Z times, a number of a uh, small number uh, posted more than uh, U times, often in violation of our spam rules. We successfully caught and hid V uh, uh, of these tweets before they ever affected the conversation on Twitter. So, like, they, they were trying to figure out a response. So we respond to this. And he adds, um, we continue to invest in IQ, including tweet deck change to limit tweeting from multiple accounts and expanding detection of duplicate and coordinated activity across accounts, etc. So, you just have to deal with spam here. Uh, number 16. Quote, if ASD isn't going to fact check with us, we should feel free to correct uh, the record on their work, said policy VP Carlos Monge. And, and this was, you know, that company, right, the, the, the think tank. If they were not going to fact check, then they, we need to go public and correct the record. Uh, Roth says that he couldn't find any Russian connection to the hashtag release the memo at all. Quote, I reviewed the accounts that uh, posted the first 50 tweets of hashtag release the memo, and none of them show any signs of affiliation to Russia. Uh, quote, we investigated, found that engagement as overwhelmingly organic as driven by VITs or very important tweeters, including WikiLeaks and Congressman Steve King. So, like, literally, these are real accounts that were tweeting about this uh, this hashtag. This wasn't the, you know, some product of Russian disinformation campaigns. This is literally real accounts tweeting about it. WikiLeaks tweeted about it. So in his email, um, you know, he uh, has a TLDR where he says, you know, uh, Schiff and Weinstein release a statement calling on us to investigate the, the, the ASD or Hamilton 68 claims as Russian bots driving the hashtag release a memo, blah, blah, blah. Same thing. And that communications getting media queries on release the memo on last Friday when ASD issues a press release saying this hashtag was driven by Russian bots. Uh, we investigated, found invest, uh, the uh, uh, engagement is overwhelmingly organic, driven by strong uh Big real accounts, including Donald Trump Jr., Steve King, WikiLeaks, and a bunch of others. Right? That that was that was the result. So there was no you know no Russian bots here. And a staffer, a number nineteen, a staffer for DIFI or DIFI, uh, Weinstein agreed that it would be helpful to know how Hamilton sixty eight goes by the process by which they decide an account is Russian, but only after. My, uh, Feinstein published a letter about Russian influence. So this clown, this idiot, uh, Diane Feinstein, goes and publishes a letter claiming that there's Russian disinformation. And then afterwards, she's like, well, can you actually prove it's Russian disinformation? So she already made the claim based on nonsense. And now she wants evidence that is actually what she said. It was not not bullshit. Ridiculous. Um Number 20, when Twitter spoke to a Blumenthal staffer, they tried to wave him off because we don't believe these are bots. And the email reads as follows. To a smaller group, the Blumenthal staffer called because he wanted to send a follow-up letter to the DiFi slash shift letter, uh, that's Dine Feinstein, right, uh, uh, saying that hashtag release the memo is Russian bots. Twitter should do another user 
notice to these victims. Uh, we had a real conversation. One, I tried to wave him off of this particular storyline because we don't believe these are bots. Two, I said that Twitter spent a lot of resources to respond to the initial requests and the reward from Blumenthal shouldn't be uh, round after round of requests for user notice. It also doesn't do anything to fix the problem. This distracts our team from the real IQ fight. Number three, I thanked him for reaching out and said that I understood his bosses were looking for their next press hit and that I would ask the team if there is something easier they could ask for. Uh, I'm not sure what he will do, but offer to chat again if you wanted feedback in the next iteration of their thinking. So th- that is uh, number 20. Number 21, added another... Before hmm? b- b- I- I- before continuing, Ian, I just think as I saw a lot of people join, yeah. so far from what you've read, because I know it continues for a while, no. uh, how would you summarize it for the audience? No, to summarize it for the audience, I would say that you know a bunch of senators, um, Diane Feinstein, Adam Schiff, and, and, and Richard Blumenthal, basically put out press statements blaming Russian bots for uh, trending, for causing the hashtag release the memo to trend. Now, there is no evidence that this was Russian bots. Twitter itself investigated and found that there was no evidence whatsoever that any of these things were bots. This was done organically by Donald Trump Jr., by, you know, uh, Steve King, which is a rep, and by WikiLeaks and a whole bunch of other people. Like, I, I believe I might have even tweeted into it. And uh, you know, they were citing a single source, which was called Hamilton 68. Hamilton 68 is a think tank uh, that essentially claims without any sort of merit, without offering any real evidence whatsoever, that all of this stuff was done inorganically by Russian bots. Uh, and they tried to get the uh, release the memo thing shut down because the release the memo thing was basically Devin Nunes's full memo uh, disclosing how there was no Russian collusion into the Trump campaign in 2016. So people wanted to see the full uh, memo, right? Like what his investigation found, and 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 they want and the Democrats, these people in particular, wanted it suppressed. So they they tried to silence it by claiming it was Russian disinformation that wanted it out there, that wanted that information out there, that nobody in their right mind would actually care about this information because you know this is all Russian disinformation, and and it was just a, a way to try to suppress the conversation on this very memo. And you know, as it turns out later on in 2019. The, De- the Devin Nunes memo was correct that Trump was exonerated for all the claims that, you know, they, they claimed that he was a, a Russian disinformation operative or whatever. All that was, the, you know, disproven later on. So that's my summary of so far. Yeah. Kim, 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 did you hear the summary? How are you? Good to have you back. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm good. I'm just uh, catching up. Uh, I, I didn't realize this came out. So let me read through it and then I join in. It just came out. We're up to, yeah, sure. We're up to 21. Yep. We're going to continue reading through it, but I'll let you catch up with it and then just join us back. Thank you. Yeah. So I'll continue reading. It's not long. You know, if we get yep. through it, we can get it through it fast. Um, yeah, another staffer at Twitter wrote, it might be worth nudging Blumenthal's staffer that it would be in his boss's best interest not to go out there because it would come back and make him look silly. This is another Twitter staffer. Basically, you know, they, Twitter knew this was not bots. They're trying to tell everybody, look, they're not Russian bots. This is a real hashtag. But, you know, these, uh, these idiots were, were not intent on listening. Number 22. One Twitter executive tried to negotiate implying an undisclosed future PR concession if Blumenthal would lay off on this. Quote, it seems like there would be other wins we could offer him. So, like, they were willing to do some quid pro quo here with these um, with these Congress people, these members of Congress, these senators, and so on, right? Because uh, uh, they wanted a PR win. You know, these guys want to show that, oh, look, we're taking action against the Russians. But there's no Russians. It's nonsense. And it makes Twitter look bad. And then what happened was in 23, Blumenthal published this letter anyway. So he didn't listen. 24, 
Executives eventually grew frustrated over what they saw as a circular process, presented with claims of Russian activity, even when denied, led to even more claims. They expressed this explicitly to Blumenthal's camp, saying that Twitter has spent a lot of resources on this request, and a reward from Blumenthal should not be uh, round after round of requests. We can't do a, no- a user notice each time this happens, right? This is, uh, they're, they're, they're pretty pissed off at Blumenthal for basically, you know, like just causing endless disruption of the company. Number 26. Eventually, Twitter staff realized that Blumenthal is not looking for real uh, and nuanced solutions. He just wants to get credit for pushing us further. And this is, again, another email. It says, Colin have much, may have much more to say, but based on my experience with him, uh, Blumenthal isn't always looking for real and nuanced solutions. He just uh, wants to get credit for pushing us further. And he may move on only when the press moves on. So it, it's a self-feeding problem here. So ultimately, Twitter executives talked about feeding congressional trolls and compared their situation to the children's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. <laughs> wow. Okay, so this has become, if you give a mouse a cookie, dot, 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 with members of Congress, you know, it's a children's book reference. Uh, that's what uh, Lauren Culbertson wrote in her email to other Twitter staffers. They're basically really tired of these people, right? You, you, you give them one thing, and they ask for more. You give them an inch, they ask for a mile, right? That's the idea. So Matt Tybiasi explains in the story, if you give a mouse a cookie, he'll want a glass of milk, which will lead to another wave of exhausting requests. And at the end, he'll want a glass of milk and then one more cookie and then one more glass of milk. And it just never ends. It never ends. Now, the metaphor for the endless Russia requests was so perfect. One executive wrote, I'm legit embarrassed I didn't think of that first. (laughs) Number 30. Despite universal uh, internal conviction that there was no Russians in the story, Twitter went on to follow a slavish pattern of not challenging the Russia claims uh, on the record. Like, so members of Congress would go out there and say, there's Russian disinformation, and Twitter would not actually rebut them publicly. Like, privately, they'll be like, yeah, there's no Russians here. But publicly, they'll be like, you know, we're doing our best to cut down on the Russians, and there's literally no Russians. It's all made up. So, 31. Outside counsels from D.C.-connected firms like Debevoir and Plimpton advised Twitter to use language like, quote, with respect to particular hashtags, we take seriously any activity that may represent an abuse of our platform. So, you know, they gave them, like, legalese speak. Now, it's a long email. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, I'll, I'll read a portion of it. Um, basically, uh, we, uh, you know, they, they made them, they gave them the language to give, you know, to, to basically try to soften Congress, to try to soften the press. And so they'll say things like, we appreciate Congress's leadership on this issue and agree that understanding the role of social media and Russian disinformation efforts is of utmost importance. Um, with respect to particular hashtags in your letter, we take seriously any activity that may represent an abuse of our platform. Our initial assessment indicates that these trends are driven primarily by organic, non-automated activity, if true, but we are continuing to analyze the data and as part of our commitment to transparency, uh, we will inform Congress about what we find. So, like, they had to suck up to Congress as a result of this. Now, Matt Tybee writes in 32, he says, as a result, reporters from the AP to Politico to NBC to Rolling Stone continued to hammer the Russian bots theme, despite a total lack of evidence. And he cites four articles here. One is on the AP. It says, Russian Twitter accounts push hashtag release the memo conservative meme. Researchers say. It's always the researchers, the experts, right? Another one, you know, goes on to repeat the same thing. U.S. News says, nail in the coffin for the Nunes memo. Uh, the Democratic response to the GOP memo and the FBI surveillance adds new details to the case against Nunes and the Russia investigation. And the one in the Rolling Stone uh, says, 
release the memo. What's the conspiracy behind the right wing meme? And 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 you know, it's, it's more nonsense, right? It's just more nonsense. Got a terrible picture of Devin Nunes, make look, make him look like a clown. It's like okay, like you guys are just running bullshit. So Matt Taibbi explains Russians weren't just blamed for hashtag release the memo. They're also blamed for the Schumer shutdown, for the Parkland shooting, and for hashtag gun control now. All the different uh, hashtags to, quote-unquote, widen the divide, according to the New York Times. So no evidence actually participated in any of these hashtags, but this is what the New York Times reported, claiming, you know, citing, again, that, that organization, uh, uh, you know, Hamilton 68. So with regards to the hashtag Schumer shutdown and hashtag release a memo, the internal guidance was both hashtags appear to be organically trending. This is stuff that people were tweeting about, because why wouldn't they? They were happening. But however, as Matt Taibbi details, NBC, Politico, Associated Press, The Times, Business Insider, and other media outlets all played up the Russian bot story, even Rolling Stone. And they all declined to comment for this story. So, like, when he reached out to them, he's a real journalist, okay? Matt Tybee's, like, an actual journalist. He reached out to all these guys, you know. It's like, hey, you want to offer some comment? Like, who told you to write this? None of them wanted to respond. Yeah, so, so Ian, that's the bit that really stood out to me. How many of the media outlets, including AP, didn't... Your mic is... Uh, yeah, your mic is, off your mic is really so bad, Josh. Yeah, none of them we wanted can't hear to anything. Can, can you hear me yeah, now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Better? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll give you. We'll, we'll continue. No, Where are we up to now? We're up to thirty seconds. That stood out to me was, done. The, uh, was the media. Almost done. We can talk cool. about this shortly. Right. Yeah, uh, let me finish it. So the staffs of Feinstein, Schiff, and Blumenthal also declined to comment. So he reached out to comment for for all of them. They didn't want to say anything. But who did comment? Well, Matt Tidy reached out to Devin Nunes. He commented, and he had a quote here from Devin Nunes says, "Who who told Matt Tidy said." Quote, Schiff and the Democrats falsely claimed Russians were behind the release the memo hashtag. All my investigative work by spreading the Russia collusion hoax, they instigated one of the greatest outbreaks of mass delusion in U.S. history. Fucking perfect. I'm retweeting that right now. Number 38. This hashtag release the memo episode is just one of the many in Twitter files. The Russiagate scandal was built on the craven dishonesty of politicians and reporters who for years ignored the absence of data to fictional scare headlines. Right? They basically made shit up to scare people into following a certain narrative, into giving up their freedoms. This is what they do, right? This is what they do. And Matt Ivey says, for more, watch uh, Schellenberger, Barry Weiss, Elish Fang, uh, David Zweig, and more. And Twitter has no editorial input on this story, and the searches were done, uh, carried out by third parties, so the documents could be limited. So there, there's probably more stuff there, but this is what he had access to, and this is the report. So this is the conclusion of this report. It's a pretty good one, I would say. It's a pretty good one. Basically, there are no Russian bots. There was never any Russian bots in any of this. They made it up. They made it up. So is Barry Weiss out of the doghouse right now? Yeah, I would assume, I would assume so, yeah. He's out of the doghouse. And for my I think Twitter did enough to resist the request by the uh, uh, by the White House? Absolutely not. No, they didn't do enough. Like, they nope. basically just fell in line. They were like, well, you know, we can't do anything. We don't want to do anything. They didn't have the balls to do it. They could have very easily said, no, this Wait, is nonsense. I, but they never publicly... The public statements... The public statements they put out actually furthered the narrative. It actually played into their narrative, so it was it was, it was great. You know, uh, Twitter Twitter did fall right in line. Yeah, that, that's funny, what though. I was trying to. That's what I was trying to say, Nick. It was like they're basically reinforcing it by uh, making more of a fanfare, exactly. And I'm surprised that some of the media outlets that Ian listed didn't even want to remotely comment on it. That was the main thing that 
uh, stood out for me, to be honest, throughout this whole thing. And by the way, I think it's worth noting here that as this thing progressed on, all the way up around the point where Jin Saki was uh, from the, uh, you know, from her position in the White House, still saying that they were talking to social media companies related to the COVID thing or whatever. I mean, they 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 began to be so confident in their approach to this that they felt they were going to get by with it in in perpetuity. And we know from their public statements that their uh, the the determination in government to totally participate in this process of uh, working with social media companies to shut down speech that was politically inconvenient for them uh, and detrimental to political prospects. I mean, th- this is what? really really a deep problem. Jim, to your point there, though, this was after 2020, though, after the election. And we're to assume they've already had FBI meetings, contacts, and, you know, as that Emily character said, they've already steered Twitter in a positive direction. And so they've already got the people that they that they need to sow the narrative and keep Twitter's mouth shut in place. Like, this stuff is happening during 2018, you know, back uh, when they were basically usurping power. Well, I feel like Twitter has taken so much heat. All the way back in uh, 2017, uh, we eventually got the Susan Rice memo where she was talking about the meeting they had on January 5th when they were going to, uh, you know, that they needed to do everything by the book, that they were expressing caution. She was sitting down with Barack Obama and James Comey, uh, John Durham and uh, Biden. You know, talking about we're going to do everything by the book, but we also have to be really careful just in case when we're working with the new administration, there might be some Russian connection or whatever and be cautious and all this kind of stuff. They were actually setting in place, it seems, in that meeting, all of this narrative as it played forth, including the effects on social media, because the FBI was already involved with some of that process at, up to that point as it is. So so this thing was in baked in the cake uh, all the way back to 2016. You know, I, I'm impressed. Like I said, I'm okay, impressed. Jonathan. Yeah, I'm impressed with the, the, the files. However, if you guys summarize and say there's no, no Russian bots, that's like saying there's no American bots. Every state acts in their interest and put mis, uh, misinformation out there to try to uh, – uh, get the populace uh, up up and going. So when you guys are summarizing saying there's no Russian bots, that's hard to believe. It seems that's a stretch. It, it well, seems well, a bit but right. Have, but but the idea of this not evidence of absence, right? I, I I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, the absence of evidence doesn't mean there is evidence that they're there. Okay, <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Like you can say that. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I get what you're saying, but I mean, you guys, if you guys boldly said, you know, proudly said that there's no Russian bots, and you lost me there. But like, not in this and case. You there was no, there's no I, evidence I, I, that there were any Russian, there was any Russian involvement in these threats and these trends, right? Like these were yeah, just, this, just this listen to by what Trump uh, Jr., by Steve King, by you know, by a number of conservative influencers. Are all of these Russian bots? Clearly not. So, you know, there, there was no Russian involvement in this particular issue that they were claiming there was direct Russian involvement when there was, in fact, zero Russian involvement in any of this. That's the issue. And what makes it more what makes it more egregious is that even behind the scenes, Twitter, who has the analytics and they even outlined this in the files, no one got Twitter's inputs. But Twitter had all of the analytics on this, and they were telling them, hey, we can't prove they're Russian bots. Are you sure you guys don't want another, um, you know, convenient win or something? It's like CYA, like, guys, guys, if you keep going with this, we cannot cover you. Do you not want to run a different narrative? So that tells you it wasn't actionable. 
Russian interference was not enough of a salient threat to justify any of these measures, but they kept pushing in it. And we mm-hmm. see they locked, you know, they basically closed ranks and got Twitter to play along. And eventually they kept mm-hmm. this narrative going, even though the citation source was Steele dossier and Hamilton 68, a Democratic think tank. And by the way, sorry, go ahead, Catherine. Do we know that these government, just to play devil's advocate, do we know that these government agencies were certainly not sending any evidence back to Twitter or were maybe had something that they were not sharing with Twitter for security concerns, anything like no, that? This was all Hamilton 68, and this is who they were quoting. This is who the uh, Congress people, the members of Congress, and the media were all quoting this one think tank, this bureaucratic think tank. They were the sole source of this information. There was nothing to validate it from the, you know, the FBI the DIA or the DHS or anything else, right? This is like, I'm having a hard time believing that because like uh, Jonathan said, I mean, we know that Russians absolutely do engage in these practices. This has been confirmed on the Russian side and so on. So they do. And so the idea that they like the the fact that they can't find that, I I do find it a little bit strange um, in these requests. Like I, so, so I'm wondering, I'm what, actually I mean, wondering why they can't find because, because it. Well, well, hold on, hold on. That, that's not what they said at all. Real quick. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Twitter in this release and in the previous release have made clear that they were looking really hard. They were under pressure. They wanted to find the Russian bots. They wanted to find uh, what they what they were asking for. So they were looking everywhere, and they couldn't find it because it didn't exist. You know, maybe does Kyle? I think works at the. I don't know if Kyle has any experience with that. Kyle, um... what's your thoughts on what Catherine is saying, Catherine and Jonathan? Like, do you think there are bots that didn't find? But like, it doesn't move away from the point that even if there is bots, they you know. Yeah, the White House couldn't prove it. Twitter couldn't find it, and yet we saw, um, you know, we saw the the narrative that was pushed by the senators that there is bots, even though it wasn't proven. Maybe there is, but you know, it doesn't exist until it's proven. But Kyle, the Catherine, and, and Jonathan make a good point. Like, is there potentially bots that they didn't find? It's, and well, I'm not, I don't mean like a, I don't mean I don't I wouldn't say like a handful of bots like I'm sure everyone uses bots here and there especially pre Elon but like you know bots that had at least a minuscule amount of influence Mario they, on they had all the tools right so they can data mine their own database right. they have the IP addresses of users uh, they can do context searches they have the kind of tools that we don't have those are administration tools and they had the motivation to find them and couldn't find them so if they couldn't find them um the the only clue that you can get from all of this is that the 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 democratic side was pushing this narrative over and over from Russia gay to Russian bots to Russian uh, election interference. And at least on Twitter, there was hardly any evidence of that at all. And, and in fact, got... they just so... admitted it in this drop that they found Russian bots. They said it was insignificant. If you look at number three, the highlighted section of that memo in the first uh, attachment to number three was, our initial inquiry based on available data has not identified any significant activity connected to Russia with respect to tweets, posting original content 
uh, to this hashtag. So let, let's be honest. I don't think anybody's saying Russia doesn't get involved in certain ways in social media to try to move a narrative. I think what we're establishing over and over again with all these drops is the fact that whatever state actors are trying to do such things or any other similar thing is, is frankly insignificant to the overall conversation that is happening in our electoral process for two reasons. One, they can't necessarily dominate it. And two, if they tried to truly dominate, if they really had a chance to totally spam bot everybody everywhere, no one would believe it anyway, or at least not in a significant uh, form and only temporarily if they did uh, do it. That I think that's what we're establishing very clearly here. The bot narrative is is stupid because it doesn't relate to the overall uh, way that this thing has been playing out and the way it played out, Devin in particular. Kyle? Yeah, thanks. Um, So I think Jim's right, um, but that doesn't mean that Catherine and Jonathan are not. Um, When we're talking about this kind of stuff, like Russia's a good boogeyman. It's what we go to is the, like, something is happening that we don't like. Why is it happening? Let's talk about Russia. And, uh, And we have similar boogeymans when you talk about things that are going on domestically, whether it be white supremacy, I just actually tweeted out something. It's going to end up being anti-government, anti-authority is going to be the new one you'll see coming out this year that they're going to blame everything on. But we're talking about like the go-to boogeyman. And so even though that is the case, two things can be true at once. Yes, the Russians get involved. Yes, the Russians are you know running all of their types of uh, information campaigns that happen in the United States. As uh, Jonathan pointed out, they'd be foolish not to. Every state actor is going to advocate their own position. And as Catherine pointed out, you know they may be doing things on other fronts. But to assume that these fronts align, that the Russians are somehow, you know, coordinated with this particular, um, you know, hashtag in particular, which is what we're talking about, whether the release the memo hashtag was influenced by Russians. If the evidence is not there, as Kim accurately pointed out, they have all the tools to find it. They have all the motivation to find it. Um, They've been prepped and and kind of, um, you know, they've been kind of honed by the FBI to be looking for these kind of things. And if those things don't happen, then it's not there. Um, I just want to do one kind of point of clarity. Uh, this is uh, pointed at Jonathan, but I think it applies to all of us. If we're going to use the new fake words, and I, and I think they are just kind of fake buzzwords of mis and disinformation, disinformation is deliberate. So that would be something that like is involved in statecraft or, you know, this sort of information campaign. Misinformation theoretically would involve people accidentally sending information that is incorrect that they don't know is incorrect. I, I think they're both, you know, BS words. I, I think they're both nonsensical and they're they're kind of driving an info campaign. But as we play in this kind of arena where we're using those terms, um, there, there is a specifics to them. I don't know that it matters all that much, but like just to be precise, like that was out there. So I want before, to before, before we go to Tom, I just want to ask the audience, bottom right corner, that purple button, the comments. Can you put your comments there? I would love your thoughts on, on what you just read in the Twitter files today. Um, I want to go through the comments a bit. Tom, go ahead. Uh, thank you, everyone. I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, good to be with you as always. Uh, the Democrats had a problem. Devin Nunes figured out that they abused uh, the FISA process, broke the law, and lied in order to investigate and subpoena and spy on uh, then-candidate Trump and and President Trump. The worst abuse and scandal uh, in terms of politics and corruption and misuse of uh, resources against a major candidate or president in American history. So to address that problem, they needed to suppress his information. And in order to suppress the information, they manufactured fake information about Russia involvement in questions about their corruption. 
And these Twitter files expose that it was a lie, but it didn't stop the media from echoing the lie in order to justify suppressing and questioning the Devin Nunes memo. And, uh, you know, and it's not an innocent lie. It's not just politics, because when you falsely accuse American citizens of being an agent of a foreign power, you place the safety and freedom of those Americans at risk. And it's not academic because then we saw there were fake investigations and prosecutions uh, uh, targeting people like Carter Page and Michael Flynn and the president of the United States based on these lies. And when I'm tweeting out, release the memo, and U.S. senators behind the scenes are suggesting I'm acting either as a witting or unwitting agent of a Russia disinformation campaign or intelligence operation, unacceptable. They sent an innocent woman to prison, Maria Butina. She's a Russian citizen, right? They sent her to prison over this. Over this nonsense. Now, over, over what exactly? What were the allegations? The allegations is that she was spying on America and feeding uh, uh, the Trump campaign, uh, the sorts of uh, campaigns of disinformation. Turns out it's false, right? She was freed, just released. Now she is in Russia. She's an MP in the Duma, <laughs> interestingly enough. Uh, she's a, she's a, a, a spokeswoman, an RT. She got a job there after she was released. But guess what? She's still innocent. She didn't do all the stuff they claimed she did. And so they put innocent people She in was released, she was released because she was innocent. Like they, 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 they announced yeah, they that she was innocent. Or... They couldn't really go after her, right? Like this was, this was just a, this is just nonsense to try to implicate Russia and all of this. And they went after an innocent civilian, essentially, right? Put her in jail for it. And they went after Americans. Like how many Americans were tried for this, this garbage? Uh, ask General Flynn, yeah. right? General Flynn. They, they nailed him. Uh, before going to Catherine, I've got here a message. Paddy got a comment. Twitter, and there's Mel saying, Tom, you just nailed it. So, so the audience yeah, is agreeing with you, Tom. Paddy saying, Twitter, Twitter wanted Russian bots to be real. The government wanted Russia Gate to be real. Um, and then we've got another person here, Ian, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Noel says, Noel Hoig says, this seems to be worse than the other Twitter file drops. I wouldn't go to that extreme, but would love your thoughts on it, Ian, before going to Catherine. I would say, yeah. I mean, it does contribute to uh, to the greater whole, right? The, the greater whole being the whole uh, Russia collusion narrative. That never happened. That was manufactured whole cloth by the Clinton administration and was continued, perpetuated by the Biden administration. To this day, they talk about Russian disinformation campaigns, about Russian bots, and they use it to suppress free speech. That's all Is it still part of the narrative now? Absolutely. They have not Absolutely. Well, let, let, me, let me give you guys the bigger picture here. Clinton was supposed to win. A war with Russia was on the books. Trump delayed the whole thing by four years, and they used the time while Trump was president to create this narrative, Russia bad, you know? And uh, I knew there would be a war with Russia when I saw what they did with the WikiLeaks release, because I was involved in that. And I know those weren't Russian uh, spies that provided the information to WikiLeaks. So when you look at all of this, it was really a setup to manipulate the minds of American people that, you know, Russia is the bad actor, is interfering in elections, is hacking politicians, and is doing all this bad stuff 
because they need to needed to create this narrative because they knew they're going to be at war with Russia. And the reason they knew is because they plotted this uh, coup in Ukraine. They knew and worked for many, many years after that happened. The Maidan. The, the Maidan. After, for, after that, for many, many years, they worked with Ukraine to train the military, to provide them with arms, because the plan was to take over uh, uh, the Donbass and Luhansk and those areas. So Ukraine was uh, preparing for a major military operation to take these areas back, plus Crimea. So the U.S. knew sooner or later the Russians are going to do something about that. What they were thinking was they're not going to do anything about uh, Donbass, but once it comes to Crimea and their military base there, that's when they thought the Russians will act. But Putin acted sooner. He said, we're going to have this conflict anyway, so we're going to have it at, at our timeline when we want. And that's why they went in earlier with the special military operation. But everything that happened in the U.S., anything to do with Russia Gate and everything that happened after was really just the preparation of the narrative that Americans will agree to a war with Russia. And, and so by the way, that could come real quick in. before we go on any further. Oh, well, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, go ahead. I'll, I'll let Catherine, Jim, I'll just let Catherine go ahead first because she tried to speak earlier. Um, yeah. I'll go to you, Jim and Malcolm. Yeah, because uh, first of all, I think to say that Russia has had zero interference uh, or any kind of uh, actions that were bad faith actions in the U.S. is is completely uh, inaccurate. They have had lots of uh, particular espionage operations, they've infiltrations. Those are proven and recorded. So that is incorrect in Russia. So Russia has been an active player in this for a while. So the U.S may need a narrative. I, I don't know, Kim. There's maybe some elements of truth to that. I'm not going to necessarily argue with that. Um, and, I, you know, as much as I, I am very suspicious of Russia, I come from that part of the world. I see the media. I can understand the language. So there is some access that I have that I can see what's going on there. That's that I think people are often missing. But um, but I think we need to go based on evidence in this particular Twitter uh, release, you know, if they're trying to tie it into a particular hashtag and they are lacking the evidence, uh, fair enough. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other interferences. And I think we can't ignore that. I think what's interesting, though, in this particular, you know, as as I'm kind of looking at the Twitter files uh, over and over again, I think we started almost as Twitter being the villain in all of this. And I think to me, what has sort of emerged is much more you know, the extent to which government organization or even the White House, uh, especially with uh, what came out just with Facebook, um, to which extent they play a role. And I think to me, and I don't know if audience um, point of view has changed on this at all, you know, as to who who's really, you know, at fault here or re- who takes more responsibility in this particular situation. But that's where I'm at with this. So, Catherine, Malcolm, Jim? just real quick. Oh, go ahead. Um, Of course, Russia spies on the U.S. and the U.S. spies on Russia. This has been going on for decades, right? There's no surprise behind that. But when you look at 
Russia Gate, which is now completely disproven. When you look at the Russia narrative that has been built up over many, many years, and you look at the developments in Ukraine and this war with Russia, it all fits perfectly together, doesn't doesn't it? I mean, it's not a conspiracy theory. When you really look at how they have built up this animosity with Russia, and also don't forget the intelligence. Well, Russia has also done it very well on its own. Well, if you look at, for example, what the motive is for this, the deep state, the intelligence community, they need a boogeyman. Otherwise, they can't justify their budgets. They can't justify their increase in powers, in spying tools and all that. So as long as they have a boogeyman, they can make more money. They can you know, use more tools against people around the world to spy on them on them. Are there no other boogeymen? I mean, Russia is not the only boogeyman. We have many boogeymen who are real boogeymen out in the world. Yeah, so I'm, I don't I'm, think I'm Russia not, is. I'm the not only. saying this, but the job of the CIA is to constantly create chaos and create these boogeymen in order to justify their inflated budgets and their crazy wars that they want to fight around the world. They always need a a boogeyman to justify these endless wars and the growth of the deep state. So that is what this is all about. Malcolm? I'll go to I'll go to Jim. Go ahead, Jim. His mic is uh, dead. No, Sorry, I'm good. I've, yeah, I, I, I've said what I want. I, I, okay. I, uh, Kim, no, I meant well, uh, Jim. Jim. Me. Yeah. So Kim has got a, an excellent beat on this, but I just want to uh, add on to that just a little bit because let's not forget this Russian narrative began with Hillary Clinton's campaign. Hillary Clinton is a bridge from the Cold War to the present political situation vis-a-vis military action and uh, clandestine operations in the United States. So the, the, you know, Catherine talked about, uh, yeah, but aren't there other boogeymen in the world? Well, yeah, there are. And, and frankly, interestingly, China is definitely one of those, but what got burned into the American system after the Cold War is this anti-Russia narrative, which after uh, the whole Yeltsin situation and the reemergence of uh, corporate powers that kind of took it led to Putin coming into power, you know, we had a, a brief uh, pullback from that in the 1990s during that situation. But once Putin started getting back in power, then you already had this burned in idea in American geopolitical uh, efforts that Russia was a uh, a threat. It never has been a threat since the, the end of the Cold War, but it kept it up for this boogeyman thing that Kim is talking about. He's 100% with that. Now, newer generations coming in, and that's going to get burned in in a different way. When Dwight Eisenhower was talking about the problems of a military-industrial complex, I mean, this is the guy who was uh, one of our most prominent military leaders in American history, not the best, but prominent. And he saw from the inside and out what was going on. And he had the courage to say, this is turning into a problem. Well, that problem has remained ever since. So there is a narrative that certain people in areas that are connected to contractors that uh, get billions of dollars from the U.S. government, to be able to uh, maintain that cash flow because it becomes very important. And the last point I'll make to, to that 
is that I, I was noting when I was working on Capitol Hill, we were talking about the fact that um, that seven of the 10 wealthiest counties, this was in around 2011, 12, seven of the 10 wealthiest counties in the country surrounded Washington, D.C. Now, the reason for that, by and large, is government contracts. It's it's not an economic powerhouse around Washington, D.C. There's a little bit in Reston, Virginia. But but again, uh, you, you have Verizon and some other companies up there, and they're certainly doing some commercial work there. But their reason for being in Reston is a connection to the Washington, D.C. spigot. And that's, that dynamic never goes away. And really, uh, what Kim's point is, is 100% on target. Because that's a major motivation in what we're seeing here. Tom? Uh, you know, uh, I want to address uh, uh, Kim's point. I, I want to highlight something that the media is is inexcusably ignoring. Uh, you know, to use the term that the lawyers use, these Twitter files are admissions against interest uh, when it comes to Twitter. So these are extraordinary disclosures because they, in my view, increase, <laughs> increase the legal liability in significant ways for Twitter and, you know, Musk is to be commended uh, for, you know, risking and, uh, you know, potential, uh, uh, you know, lawsuits and other things against his company uh, because he thinks it's in the public interest, this government collusion and corruption be exposed. And so this isn't someone making an allegation and you can say, Oh, you know, there's no credible information here. Now, these are corporate documents authorized for release by the by the head of the corporation who is ratifying their authentic authenticity in dramatic ways on Twitter. So I would highlight that and, you know, and, and further expose the media failure to uh, delve into these. Is it really inexcusable? But with, you know, Kim's Kim, who is one of the smartest folks on this platform, you know, raises some significant issues. But I would I would just differ a little bit. I'm not suggesting that, uh, you know, going after Russia doesn't benefit some of these agencies who have an interest in 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 escalating conflict or or in, uh, allowing conflict to continue that might otherwise not be there. But with this specific effort, it had nothing to do with it. When uh, when Russia is useful for the left politicians involved here who are corrupt, they will support Russia. When uh, Russia is not useful, they will attack Russia. Remember, Hillary Clinton, at the time of announcing the Russia reset, was on the take from Russia. Joe Biden, through his family and Hunter, was on the take from Russia. Bill Clinton himself was receiving a cash payment to speak to a Russia front company, Russia government front company. And of course we have the countless millions funneled into their operations, uh, the Clinton foundation operations by uranium one. And then the election rolls around and they literally have a Russian operative on staff to help create this fake story against Trump. So all this is not done in my view, by at least these instant politicians we're talking about, Clinton, Obama, and the Democratic senators, because they're thinking forward the way Kim suggests. Maybe that was helped along by people within the government who were happy to have this as an excuse to advance their separate agenda. But the principal reason behind these lies is to attack President Trump, try to jail him, 
while at the same time distracting from the fact that they were actually doing and had done everything they accused Trump of doing, which is taking cash in exchange for favors and trading their public office in ways never seen before in American history. Uh, and uh, and we now have a president who has been implicated six ways to Sunday, even though the media won't admit this, in 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 financial improprieties with the Russian governments and their fronts. And remember, Burisma, uh, we say Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Burisma was not, quote, on on the Zelensky Scott side of the scale in Ukraine. It was a Russian leading company. Uh, so uh, it's it, they're up to their necks in Russia corruption here in this administration. And so that's why why else would they go so desperate to censor Americans who are highlighting this? It's not because they're worried about war. They don't care about war. They care about keeping themselves out of jail and keeping themselves in power. Tom, let me give you a little bit of uh, uh, background here. The reason why this war with Russia was inevitable since 2008, 2009. After the financial crisis, Russia and China came together and said, we need to change the global financial system. We cannot rely on the U.S. anymore to be the steward of the financial system because its own rules have led to this major financial global collapse. And they decided to create BRICS. They brought in the initial five founding countries And their goal was, in their statute from the beginning, to change the financial system to not be reliant on the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency. That was the direct threat against the hegemony of the U.S. uh, empire in the world. When the U.S. doesn't control the world currency anymore, they can't endlessly print money and they can't keep this uh, incredible debt machine going that basically funds this entire military-industrial complex, Mm -hmm. right? So when they announced that and it became a direct threat to the power of the United States globally and basically in a unipolar world that we were in at that time by announcing this multipolar concept with with a new world currency. That is when uh, everything was set in motion to isolate Russia and China. And this is why we are today in this enormous crisis with you know, the war in Ukraine with a potential war in Taiwan. I mean, everything is set up for this major war simply for the U.S. to try and stop the destruction of its power. And that is exactly the threat that comes from Russia and China. And now we have 17 nations that want to sign up to BRICS. They control 40% of global GDP and 50% of the population of the planet. The threat is real and it's accelerating, and this is why the U.S. is putting the struggle into everyone's minds with Russia gate, with Russia bad, with China bad. This is the reason, the background behind it. You know, I don't. I, I, you know, I, I guess I could argue a little bit, or I would argue significantly with your theory of the case, Kim. And I guess the point of my last comment was to suggest that your theory of the case. And my theory of the motives here aren't necessarily at odds, but in fact could be complementary. And, uh, you know, there's there's many motivations behind why bad politicians behave badly. 
And I would just highlight the simplest explanation is uh, this, uh, that, you know, Trump was a threat. They were implicated. How do they protect themselves? I, I agree I'm not suggesting that you're wrong. It's just that, that, you know, there, there's 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 one way of thinking about it and there's another way of thinking about it. And they all should be considered. And, you know, they're not all necessarily at odds with each other. And there's some truths there to all of these analyses. And well, before going to Jonathan and Nelson, uh, go ahead, guys. Yeah, first of all, Kim, for, listen to me. <clears throat> I've been listening to you, Kim. And, yeah, I think we all need to get together and, and go fund me and, and send some flowers over to Russia because it's not like Russia's the victim here. And, and it's like we're doing that, but Russia's sympathizing on this stage, how Russian, how Russia has been the victim, how, you know, our bad actions from some politicians have put Russia in a bad light. You know, and uh, I just, just sitting here listening to this, it blows my mind that, you know, and I know you're not here in America, but there are some people on the stage in America that, you know, are sympathizing for Ru- being Russian sympathizer. I mean, Ronald Reagan would turn in his grave if he heard us having these kind of conversations. I understand what you're saying, but I think you guys are taking a bit too far. Russia is a bad actor. Okay. They're our biggest foe. I mean, them in China, Russia and China are, is our biggest foe. Okay. Russia does not want anything good for us, the U.S. So therefore, we should not want anything good for them. But on this stage, everyone is saying Russia is a victim, and I just can't, man. I, 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 I don't understand that. Well, I, I want to intervene let me, here, let me, Mario. Let me, if I could, let me just. Uh, I want to intervene. Garland just announced the appointment of a special counsel to avoid uh, a probe the Biden classified documents, uh, which is just um, further will add to the hurricane here in Washington D.C over uh, what started off, in my view, as a radical abuse of Trump. They threw out the rule book uh, to go after Trump, and that rule book no longer protects Biden, who uh, did things arguably worse than Trump is alleged to have done, even under what I think is their fake theory of the case. Tom, do you have any confidence in the Biden DOJ investigating themselves? Or no, investigating well, this the is why they appointed a special counsel to mitigate the lack of confidence in the fair administration of justice in this area. I mean, you had this unprecedented rate of Trump. I mean, I don't want to digress too much from the topic of this, but, you know, what struck Judicial Watch initially about this was we had asked for the National Archives to get records from Bill Clinton, who had kept them after his presidency. There were recordations an author made of him calling foreign leaders and members of Congress, you know, quintessential presidential records. And the court came back to us, the archives came back to us, and the Justice Department came back to us and said, you have no right. And by the way, the president has ultimate authority to decide what is personal and presidential. And if he has records after he leaves office, they're presumptively personal. So a I question don't for you, to... Tom. Uh, so, so on the, the panel... point is they changed the rules to go after Trump all of a sudden. And now every president and vice president is on the block, as Joe Biden is saying, is showing because of this political case, not based on law or precedent against Trump. What a right. nightmare. Right. And the biggest difference worth noting here, just to, just to be clear with everybody, is the president does have the ability to declassify anything he wants to. But, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, but the vice president does not have that ability, do they? Well, the president has inherent authority to declassify records. The vice president, the statutory authority is a little bit unclear. But with respect to presidential records, the vice president has the same power as the president does to designate records as presidential or vice presidential and personal. 
And that necessarily presumes and includes classified records. So if indeed these records were taken with him uh, after he left the vice presidency, uh, he he should be treated the way I think Trump should have been treated. But of course, they're not following my rules, right? They've made it all up. So under the Trump theory, under the rules they set out for Trump, Biden has even more risk, uh, criminal risk, because his ability to declassify records is only limited under the president is only uh, in- included under the Presidential Records Act. He doesn't have any separate authority like the president has as commander in chief. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a nightmare. But when you when you want to break the law or 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 break apart the law, I think it's a better way to say it to target your political enemies. That law isn't there to protect you. Uh, when you're caught doing the same thing. And, you know, the question is, uh, is is Biden ever going to be treated the same as Trump in this case? It's a significant development that a special counsel has been uh, appointed. But, you know, to me, this is just the highlights the absurdity of the situation we're in. I mean, if I'm Obama or Pence or Quayle or Bush or, frankly, the estates of uh, Clinton, I mean, uh, uh, Ford and Reagan <laughs> and George H.W. Bush, or even Jimmy Carter and company, they should all be worried about what documents they have because this administration changed the rules to target Trump, and now all bets are off. Not true. Quite different. I'll wait till my turn, but you're way off on this one, bro. Way off. Okay, let me chime in here. Quickly respond just, to, just to, get, ahead, just to get back on topic, Tom, real quick. This is the Democrat DOJ. They didn't do anything about the Hunter Biden laptop. They didn't do any investigation about any of the stuff that came out, uh, 10% for the big guy and all this other stuff. Nothing is going to happen to Biden or to any you know major Democrat politician with this DOJ. It's all politicized. You know this. I know this. So we don't really need to dwell on this. To Jonathan's point from earlier that Russians are the bad guys. There isn't really anything good about Russia that can be said. That is exactly the result of years of propaganda, Jonathan. And I want to I want to explain this to you. So give me one minute. Um, Russia wanted to join NATO after the Cold War was over. And it was refused because if Russia would join NATO, there wouldn't have been an enemy that the U.S. deep state could have used to justify uh, their budget. So they needed to keep Russia on the bad side. Russia wanted to be a, a partner in, in the EU. You know, they, they saw themselves as part of Europe and they wanted to join that as well and uh, were shut down. When Germany reunited, uh, the, the West gave Russia a promise that NATO will not expand one inch eastward. And they completely lied about that. And that's all the leaders of the West, Britain, the U.S., Germany, you know, all the big countries uh, were basically telling Gorbachev, if you give us the reunification of Germany, we are not going to expand NATO. And they lied about that. Right. So Russia is, in a way, the victim of all of these lies and betrayals. They wanted to be part of the West, but they needed to keep Russia a boogeyman in order to keep justifying their spy budgets, the CIA, you know, the power grabs. That is why they didn't uh, want to have any closeness with Russia. Kim. Before Jonathan, you reply. I'll let you reply, Jonathan. Uh, I do want to. I just googled it while you were speaking, Kim, and and I didn't know this. So 
Putin, so this is by an ex-NATO head, uh, and he says, Putin, uh, so I'll quote exactly what he said. Um, they wanted to be part of that secure, stable, prosperous West that Russia was out of at the time. So Putin, when he, when he first came to rule, he wanted to join NATO. Uh, but apparently, according to him, he didn't want to stand in line with, quote, a lot of the countries that don't matter. Um, that's according to a former Secretary General, Secretary General of the Transla- of the of NATO. Go ahead, Jonathan. Well, actually, yeah. let me just clarify that. So Putin had a meeting with Bill Clinton and said to him, "Look, you know, the the, the Cold War is over. Uh, you know, we want to be allied with you guys." Uh, and he asked him directly, "You know, uh, can we join NATO?" And Bill Clinton just turned him down. You know, and it never happened. But it just shows you most people don't know this. They don't understand if the U.S. would have agreed to that, there would have been no conflict, no war. Russia wanted to be part of the alliance. They fought together against the Nazis and they won together. They wanted this whole thing to be over and, and, and uh, you know, be part of the family. And uh, the U.S. didn't allow it. Jonathan? Yeah, you said, uh, I want to go back when you said, uh, you know, when Gorbachev allowed uh, the reunification of Germany, Soviet Union was in shambles. They were broke. They had nothing. Okay. Lithuania, all, all their foreign their, their nations were breaking off. Gorbachev didn't give permission for that. I just want to put that out there because I, you're, once again, you're making these guys sound like magnanimous and like they, they've been taken advantage of. They weren't taken advantage of. They were weakened and they, could, they didn't have, they were broke. All right. If and they so, didn't want uh, the, if Russia didn't want the reunification of Germany, it would have never happened. They had tanks in East Germany. They had an army in East Germany. This was done because uh, the EU uh, and the US promised that there would be no expansion of NATO, and Russia saw this as a you know as a peace agreement, basically. Yeah, well, as I, as I was saying, so uh, when, when we speak about Russia, because the way you're making it serious, Russia has been taken advantage of. Russia is a bad actor. The United States, unfortunately, and we are bad actors bad as well. Actor. It's like, how exactly is Russia a bad actor when it's literally trying to do everything in its power to be on America's good side? It's not exactly honoring some other accords like the Budapest Accord where Ukraine, exactly. it's, it's funny because people are, uh, you know, they're quick to dismiss the Budapest Accord in terms of Ukraine gave up its nukes for certain agreements, right? And people are like, well, they gave it up because uh, uh, there was never any kind of agreement uh, put in place in official documents. But when there was some sort of an agreement with NATO uh, not expending back in the days of the dissolution of the USSR, that suddenly that suddenly plays qualifies. So I, I don't Catherine, get the, the dissenting point of view. Catherine, if your measure is the breach of international treaties and international law, the US is far ahead of Russia when it comes to that. If that is your measure, then Russia is uh, is is a quiet uh, little lamb compared to what the United States has been doing around the world. Well, but look, we can't continue saying, well, because the U.S. is bad and does these bad things, then Russia, you know, I'm talking about Russia in this particular case, and we're comparing these two very specific things, and people are giving, you know, one they're ignoring, and the other one they're saying, well, no, NATO expense should be honored. I I don't get that. Would we? I I wouldn't put any country in a basket of good and bad. Obviously, some are leaning more towards bad. You could 
you know, argue North Korea's in that basket. And you can argue, if, you know, countries like Finland yeah. are leaning more towards the good. And I don't think Russia but is I wouldn't bad, say, by the way. I, do, I would do I don't think, I don't think, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put any country in such a, but I wouldn't put any country in such a binary position, not the US, not Russia. Um, you know, it's, all, it's always more complex than most people would like it to be. And it's harder to understand. That's what I've found. But, you know, Nelson, you've been waiting for a while, man. Yeah, um, you know, Mario, I definitely agree with you. And, um, you know, it's good to see Jonathan here. But, um, I mean, Jonathan, you, 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 listen, you're doing exactly what the mainstream media is doing right now. You're doing exactly what the left is doing right now, deflecting from, you know, the main point, right? Deflecting from, you know, the issues at hand. Right. The, I mean, listen, my question to everybody in this room, where is the outrage from the left? Twitter file on Twitter file on Twitter file. Where's the outrage? I'm seeing nothing on mainstream media. I'm not hearing any of these senators come out to say anything. I'm not hearing anybody acknowledge this. I'm hearing the left, quite frankly, change the narrative and shift the narrative every time we confront them with this. Like, you know, my brother, Jonathan Bay. Right. So it's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. In addition to Tom's point, this is criminal. This is beyond criminal at this point. This is insane. Right. How many Americans were silenced, discredited, financially impaired for literally arrested or speaking against the false narrative, which was sold to the American public? Right. This caused Trump his loss in 2020. And ultimately led to the economic downturn we're facing right now that we're all facing, by the way, left or right or whatever, middle. We're all facing this right now on all sides. Right. This is beyond criminal. I mean, you, if Madoff, if it, listen, this makes Madoff look like freaking Santa Claus. But there's no outrage from the left. You know, John, listen, bro, I love you, but you've been brainwashed to the point of no return. You know, Catherine, you know, Catherine's my girl, so she'll see the light sooner rather than later. But you, oh, my God. I mean, listen, guys, criminals are criminals. Criminal activities are criminal activities, whether they're from your side or my side. Acknowledging that is the first step towards preventing our government from ever being able to repeat this in the future. But we have to acknowledge it, not deflect from it, not change the narrative. Not bring up some other bullshit. We have to confront it, acknowledge it, and move on, right? So once again, Catherine, you know I'm you'll come around, but Jonathan's gone. <laughs> that that brother is gone. But let's talk about it, though. Let's talk about. Well, it. I will say one thing, Nelson. Just to respond to one thing you said about specifically about media coverage from the left, I do agree that it was it is sad for me to see you know that as somebody who has written for these you know very mainstream media outlets, I do find it very sad to see that um there isn't the coverage is very 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 biased in only one way. And, you know, I did a little experiment. I, I approached a bunch of very mainstream media outlets and I tried to pitch the story to them, uh, from a, a bit of a different angle and just to see what happens. And I was met with, uh, complete, complete crickets. And this is, you know, I come, I have very high credentials. I write for all those kinds of outlets. And I really, I literally got not a single response. So that says a lot, uh, because they can't kind of say, Hey, uh, we, we don't have anybody pitching stories from a different angle. Um, they, they just ignore it. So that says well, a lot, sadly. Why, can why I, would can you I respond? 
Sure, go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Now, <clears throat> you guys are saying that, that um, the mainstream media is controlling the narrative, okay? The problem with these Twitter files, the reason it's not get, I believe it's not getting as much press is Elon Musk, okay? You've never had a social media, someone that uh, runs a social media company go out, okay, and say vote for one party or the other, all right? There may have been some biases, but they weren't voice uh, vocalized, okay? And then, you know, if you want to, if you wanted to have coverage, release everything, everything. Don't just selectively release what you want out there because I'm quite certain there's some things on there out there. Okay. That, that is horrible for both sides. Release it all. Don't play games. Don't said, rip it so, out. So on, on, on this point, Jonathan, I'll let you continue. On this point, I said the same thing a while ago, um, in the early files. I'm like, yeah, but they're probably releasing to fit a certain narrative, but then they explicitly said, um, that the back door for censorship was available for both sides of the aisle. However, Republicans either never used it or Twitter just never really opened that door to them, uh, just because Twitter's bias is kicking into the you know supporting the left. So I I agree with you. Maybe there are more documents, but what if they are releasing everything? Maybe this is everything, and well, the, let the, me just the, correct something. it just goes against. Let me just correct something real quick, Jonathan. Uh, in a way. Elon is releasing anything and the Twitter files are not over because those journalists that have access to the database, they can search freely for anything. And then what the lawyers of uh, Twitter do, they have to review what the journalists wants to, want to use to see if there's any legal implications, if there is something that could hurt Twitter or Twitter employees or create uh, uh, legal issues. And once these things are cleared, the journalists can use that. So just to be factual here, Elon has opened the door to all Twitter secrets. So, so Jonathan, the notion that the mainstream media is not covering this story or any stories about the Twitter file because Elon Musk, you know, may say that, you know, he's going to, he wants to, to vote for, uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida or something like that is just absolutely, it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous because, you know, what, what you're looking at right now is, you know, you've got the Washington Post writing stories back in 2018 about the whole Russiagate situation. Okay. They're winning Pulitzers for it. They won a Pulitzer for it. Actually, I think Catherine, Catherine, uh, me and Catherine were talking about this the other day, but why just based on this objective information that is being released, internal documents from Twitter, why does Elon Musk's political ideology have anything to do with it? Especially when you have somebody like Matt Taibbi releasing the information, who is by no means a conservative. Not at all. Well, I mean, he is seen, unfortunately, he is seen as a conservative. I, and I'm not saying that's the right wing or the, is accurate at all. Biased, but though. They're just painting him as a conservative so they can shut him down the same way they can call yeah, him disinformation. That's correct. But he's being painted that way for a while. And well, the but, thing but, is, well, I just want to clarify one thing is that, you know, because uh, my criticism of, of the wiki, uh, sorry, of the Twitter files was originally that it wasn't given to sort of uh, like, let's say, like a group of people who were on sort of different aisles. But from my experience now, kind of looking at the mainstream and how how they ignore it like i'm actually not convinced anymore that they would have even wanted to cover it so i i don't know if it's valid criticism anymore to be honest well well actually so so keep this in mind the mainstream media as we call it and you know i i don't know how much i like that term but i'm trying to make a distinguishment here 
you know, they, they were they were kind of in on this gig, too. Let's not forget that. And, and we don't have the files that show it or whatever. But the point is that all the narratives, particularly with this uh, Twitter files dump, all the narratives that the, the regular media have been throwing out there are consistent with what we're seeing were internal discussions uh, to to adjust what was being allowed to be said on this particular platform. And now with the uh, Missouri Attorney General's uh, things, we're finding out more and more about as that relates to Facebook. The, the, the regular media does not want to make themselves look bad because they were doing exactly the same thing in maybe a more overt way. But but keep in mind here that there is I mean, I, I want someone to challenge me what exculpatory evidence is going to be found in these files. One, two, especially in light of the fact that there is actually exculpatory information like what we first thought about Yoel Roth has entirely changed. I'm not saying I mean, he, he eventually gave into it. But but we see very real pushback there. And the narrative that's being laid out there right now, and this is why I think that Taibbi and the others having full access to the files is significant and proves that this is useful information that we're getting that's not being biased in some particular way. Because they, they were all ready. Everybody was ready to find Yoel Roth to be the bad guy here. And every one of us now knows for a fact that the the government agencies and actors within those government agencies were the ones really driving this. So, you know, yeah, could we find out more having all the files out there? Surely, you know, that that could enlighten us in one way or the other. But someone's got to show me how they're going to find something exculpatory here or how you can make a claim that this is just some right-wing job. Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, all these people that are commenting on this, and, and certainly Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi, these guys are people who were pro-ACLU type people who were that way because they believed in the Bill of Rights and the the support of the Bill of Rights. That's the the, the motivation coming from here. And they're shocked. So before, be, before going to Jonathan, because I know he was trying to finish something, and then Tom, uh, so, so, so what you implied initially is that you think there's a, a lot of the same influence we're seeing with Twitter is not only there with other social media platforms, but with other media outlets as well. And it's just a matter of time that, you know, some of these companies change ownership and we see similar drops as we saw with Elon's Twitter. 100 percent. I mean, like, OK, uh, look, jo- there is evidence that the media was colluding with these people in the previous uh, one of the previous drops. We found out that NBC News was getting its information directly from uh, the uh, State Department. They were publishing what were essentially lies about this whole Russian disinformation campaign citing uh, insiders at the State Department, and then the State Department would literally use those articles as citations in their reports to Twitter to demand that they act on it. So it was they were like self-feeding it, right? Like they were feeding their own narrative, saying they would give information to journalists and say, put this thing out there, press or Twitter, and then we're going to use your report to press or Twitter based on, and, and that report is entirely based on what we told you to say. So there, there is a hundred percent collusion between members of the media, particularly NBC News, AP News, and a few of the other ones that were mentioned in in, in the article. I mean, in the drop today, that showed that the media was working hand in, in glove with the government, or rather with the senators, and you know, and to perpetuate this narrative that Trump was, you know, a, a, a Russian asset. That was what they wanted. That's what you know, was, was being fed by everybody. And it wasn't just, you know, the government doing it. it was so pretty, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, it's a pretty convincing. 
It's a pretty convincing story. So, Jonathan, I'll let you finish what you're saying and go into Tom Dallas. Um, And by the way, Adler, I've got David Adler. He's at the presidential palace. Hopefully, he'll be able to jump in in a bit. Just give us an update on the latest um, regarding the Biden uh, Biden files. Let's call it the Biden files. Jonathan, I'll let you finish what you're saying before going to Tom and Dallas. No, no, I'm fine. I I, I will address what Nick said. Nick, uh, because Elon's uh, political leanings, he's saying, no, because you you don't know what you're uh, writing on. Elon, he puts something out there that's a red herring, and then all of a sudden release the rest of it, and it makes it, you know, look like the media jumped to conclusions. That's why you can't report on something unless you have the full story, okay? And then uh, Elon hasn't given everyone full access in the full story. That's the only thing I'm saying, you know. Jonathan, uh, you're completely uh, wrong about the, that. That's just not true. I, I, I know you said I, Jonathan, Kim, I know you said that look, the, the, the Twitter report. files right. really speak for themselves. They are documents, right? They are emails in their own voices with their own words. You can't just minimize this and turn this into into a nothing burger, which is what the mainstream media is trying to do. And let's just be frank here. Uh, the mainstream media today is literally just a propaganda department, primarily for the Democratic Party uh, and for the deep state. You know, they, they have uh, literally uh, taken over the media. What you are reading and seeing today in the news is not journalism. It's uh, it's, it's it's just stenography. But by the way, let's not forget that in earlier file dumps, we know for a fact now that uh, the that the deep state, the government was working with the Daily Beast to shame Twitter into complying and that they later were the ones who released the uh, the steel dossier. So, yeah, th- this this cycle has is all a part of this. And that's why you don't see the mainstream in closing, Jim, I just want to say this. If, if, this, if uh, Elon is so transparent, where, where's the Donald Trump files? Okay, Because a lot of this took place during his administration. Okay, His administration uh, had, had the reins from 2017 to 2021. All right, so where's the Donald uh, Trump files? Where, he never and, asked and where's them to request? do anything. How can they be right. files of things? Donald Trump, you're doing... Like, do, do, do you not think the thing they that did Twitter itself or Facebook uh, or, in, or Instagram or, or Google or any of these other sites, do you not think that they would tell the world if Donald Trump asked them to censor somebody? Yeah, well, let, let me just say this right here. All right, first and foremost, no one else has released this, only Twitter. That's first and foremost. And secondly, if Donald, Donald Trump... That that did not want to give up his power that he had would not use that power, okay? That uh, to go there and have Twitter do something. You guys are all delusional, and I said that respectfully. Okay, okay, hold, hold on, yeah. wait, wait. Do you not? Think we have that... the Missouri files that show right now. The Missouri Attorney General released files that show other places where this was happening. One, two. Are you seriously telling us that Twitter would keep private? Exactly. Any similar requests from the Trump administration to do similar things, they'd have blown it out there themselves. Are you kidding me? Every single thing that Trump ever did during his administration behind closed doors was leaked to the public. Every single thing. So they wanted him off the platform, you know, years before he was actually kicked off the platform. They, th- there is absolutely no way that they would have kept that private. Okay, we're speaking in absolute. I'm gonna mute out because we're speaking in absolute. So we're saying Donald Trump did not ever power that everyone else did. I'm done with it. All right, thank you. I'm mute out. I'll listen. But Jonathan, like you're doing, you're falling into the same trap that people do on so many issues, man. Like, remember when 
the liberals like loved WikiLeaks because he exposed bad things about corrupt conservatives. And then he exposed things about Hillary and camp. And then they go, well, where's the conservative stuff? He must be withholding it because he loves Trump. You're, you're doing the same thing. Like Donald Trump has talked shit publicly about Elon Musk, number one. And if Elon likes Ron DeSantis, something bad for Trump would be good for Ron DeSantis. But again, like you're you're yep. you're running distraction, arguing about why isn't there some proof of some evidence that you also yourself don't have proof of to try to then, you know, again, essentially punt to the second half to actually hold people accountable, which, you know, again, you bought in and believe those narratives. These are people who are using a tactic going after, you know, in, in cahoots with intelligence agencies and using social media companies and traditional media companies to create fake narratives knowingly, knowing that they don't have the info, trying to get a companies like Twitter to produce info to support a, basically a fake allegation, hoping that they could, you know, find evidence to support the crime that they're accusing and, and again, like people like yourself, all you're really doing is going, you're, you're doing one of two things. You're either changing the topic completely or you're, you're going into the, you know, the, the argument of the absolutes where you go, are you serious? So, so there's not one Russian bot. It's like nobody said that. The point is, what is the significance and what is the impact? And it's the same thing as the last Twitter files where there's like $10,000 in ad spend against Trump and Hillary spending 400 million. And then you could, people are still like, well, there you go. That, that That's proof of Russian inclusion. It's like, no, that's a drop in the ocean. And to focus on that means that you are not able to come to with programming and fake narratives that you yourself believed. Dallas, what, what, I, what I'm saying is. was doing this the whole time because we're reading about it in the Twitter files. It's just that they were doing it clandestinely behind his back because uh, previous administration and others in the so-called deep state were intent upon embarrassing Donald Trump. It was his administration that was doing this. If you want the evidence of it, there it is. It just doesn't turn out the way that you think it might, Jonathan. Jim, all I'm saying is Twitter, we all can agree that Twitter became a tool, all right, for the government, all right? And to say that one uh, one faction of the government, uh, one party, one you know uh, executive branch, I mean, office uh, officer will use it and not the other, to me, is just ludicrous. But it is a very powerful tool. It's, and if you guys are, you don't have evidence that they used it. I mean, principled people do exist. Okay. You can't just make up claims well, yeah, because Elon Elon's corrupt. Therefore, of course, Donald Trump is corrupt. Of course, he would use it. That is illogical. There is no evidence that he did anything of the sort. And don't you think that they would have blown the whistle on it? Because I mean, Ian, where's the, where the evidence House coming from? Under under Trump was extremely leaky. He could not fart without people reporting on it. This is a man exactly. who was followed night and day by his own staffers who were just aching to leak to the press because they didn't like him, right? This is, this yeah. is what Well, you made. also have – it's worth noting that Yoel Ross, you know, the head of, of Twitter's uh, Twitter safety, actually called Trump a Nazi publicly. That's right. And Yoel Roth overseeing this entire situation. I mean – And even Elon on, has you... said that he would like to piss off the 20 percent that's on the far left and the far right. If he's not pissing off one or the other, that means he's not doing anything right. Right? That That is his public statement. And he he's not a hardcore Trump fan. He does not like Donald Trump. Both of them have publicly attacked each other. So this is this is not there's no no bias here. It's not like Elon's hiding the files to protect Donald Trump. And many of the journalists, even the ones who don't even like Elon, who are working with them on this to release these files, have stated publicly that Elon has had zero say in what they release. So this is what they found, and they found nothing on Donald Trump that would suggest that he would manipulate the narrative or try to censor people. Nothing like what you're suggesting. So, so guys whose administration came up with the term alternative facts wouldn't try to manipulate the narrative. Okay. 
I, I, I'm gonna. I wanna. I'll go on to Jonathan. Jonathan. That's not. What? That's not really so, an argument, man. It's like, Jonathan. It's not the same like, thing. You're like referring to a. Yeah, they're, they're talking about you know about convincing the <laughs> media. Can I jump in here? As censoring people, as outright censoring people, which is what happened here. People lost their rights. People went to jail over this nonsense. Trump never sent anybody to jail for this. This was the government. Well, you know, the the irony of this, to kind of just answer, you know, Jonathan's point initially, is most of the worst Twitter files are out of the Trump administration, uh, where you had appointees of Trump or federal employees nominally um, – uh, uh, who nominally report to Trump in theory, uh, use their powers and abuse their powers to censor Americans uh, to either uh, help protect their uh, anti-liberty policies on COVID or to advance uh, Biden's campaign and hurt Trump. So there's the irony there. The only evidence we had out of the Twitter files, and I think, you know, there was a specific look-see for what was coming out of the Trump White House was a complaint uh, about why uh, President Trump's press secretary was uh, suppressed, uh, at least uh, I think suspended, at least for a period of time or banned uh, from Twitter. Uh, you know, secondly, in terms of the media, uh, the media is uh, compromised in, in the sense that uh, we're going to see if we had an honest media, similar Twitter uh, media files come out, whether it be New York Times, AP or Washington Post, uh, pushing this, and uh, we'd we'd find uh, 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 a lot of guilty parties here, and I think that kind of reflects in their uh, skepticism here, or purported skepticism, because there, for the grace of God, go them uh, when it comes to the FBI being caught pushing for censorship, or uh, or or their cozy communications with leftist politicians and their allies uh, uh, that you know based on nothing. Uh, that led to reporting suggesting that Trump and people support him were agents of a foreign power. The most, you know, it doesn't get much more malicious than that or reckless if you do it without checking it out. And then, you know, um, you know, thirdly, it's the head of the company has ratified these documents. So the media has no excuse. I mean, they pretend, well, you know, someone else is reporting on them. We don't see them. No, Twitter has released these documents. So when you have the CEO saying these documents show voluminous evidence of election interference by Twitter and its colluders, that alone is news and needs to be reported and dealt with 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 the headline interest that it is appropriate to revelations like that. And the fact that it doesn't have it happen uh, just shows you, you know, the 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 uh, corruption that I think Kim pointed out. You know, I, I think these are activist organizations, many of these legacy media companies uh, that sometimes do journalism. Heck, when it comes to investigating and exposing government corruption, a Judicial Watch does as significant, if not more significant, journalism uh, than than many of these media companies, which at best too often are uh, vehicles for leaks and gossip as opposed to kind of doing the hard-nosed investigative reporting that I think Americans naively pretend that's what they're there for. Uh, you know, it's not to say that they don't do it from time to time, uh, but it's almost incidental to the political and act and, and narrative and activist activists pushing uh, they pursue. Here we've got this incredible revelation or revelations that the National Security Agency, the CIA, the State Department, the FBI, 
HHS, DHS were involved in manipulating our elections and what we heard and learned about key candidates and and the yawn, the collective yawn from the media and frankly, too many Republicans, you know, makes you wonder how long, how much longer the republic will last in terms of the civil liberties and values that we all, uh, you know, love about this great country. Can Nelson? I have one point to that, Tom? Is it okay, Martin? Yeah, quick? jump in. Yeah, jump in, Dallas. Well we'll Nelson. Well said. Yeah, yeah. So think, think about that. Yeah, that was super well said, Tom. Think about, think about Russiagate, right? Think about the size and scope of that that narrative got to. You had the 2016 election happen, and then you had basically a manufactured narrative come into play, which was, you know, Russia interfered and Russia hacked in the election to the to a level that could have affected the outcome. All of that was created and pushed on no evidence and not even no evidence, manufactured evidence that we now know today was completely false and bogus. And they, they literally got people believing that, that again, Russia changed the, the outcome of that election on no evidence. Then what happened? Then as that went on, then it was like, well, look, all of Trump's actions are making it's because he's a secret Russian sympathizer. It's because he's a Russian puppet. And, you know, no offense, Jonathan, there's a lot of people like you and, you know, even family I've got who, who believe that even even probably till today, despite all of that being not true at all. Right. And think about that during the same time, again, in these emails, you've got people like Adam Schiff. That guy's lied publicly more times than you can count, claiming he's got evidence that's going to bury Trump, put him away. And the guy had nothing. The guy is a cover for, for deep, you know, deep state establishment actors who never gets in trouble. You've got Blumenthal, who's been in his hand in every single fake manufactured story for the last 20 years in u.s politics you've got feinstein who had chinese members you know or chi- uh, chinese spies that were you know one was her driver and one others were in her staff nothing happens just gets swept under the rug this whole plan and this whole tactic this is just like radioactive tagging so they did the same thing to their own look what they did to tulsi gabbard right hillary clinton calls her a russian agent she's in a debate she could she does super well against kamala google colludes to hide her website from view so that they can't actually run ads and capture that traffic and they call her a Russian actor. Like this is a this is a tagging that people believe over and over. And and the thing that I find that I think a lot of people have to come to grips with, I think there's about a, a decent percentage of us amongst us who their default is to believe authorities and, and without you know any recollection that these authorities have lied to you countless times over the years. It doesn't mean that they're wrong 100 percent of the time, but if your default is to believe people who've continuously lied to you, then you've got a bit of Stockholm syndrome to deal with. Nelson. No, appreciate you, Mario. I mean, you, you know, just just trying to follow up on, you know, the statements that Jonathan made, you know, again, you know, quite ridiculous statements. But uh, I mean, everybody knows that Silicon Valley is flooded with leftist loonies from top all the way down to the bottom. Everybody knows this. Right. I mean, need I remind you guys that Twitter executives actually decided to remove Trump from this platform? Right. So, I mean, the statements in itself make absolutely no sense. I mean, the only reason why we're privy to this information is because Elon bought Twitter for fun. Right. He bought it for fun, literally. And he literally said when he bought it that he's not doing this to make money. And his investors know that as well. He's charging eight dollars for the, blue check marks. Uh, but <laughs> now that's not correct. That, that's, I'm sorry, but I mean, Elon is doing this as a as a business primarily. 
Otherwise, you wouldn't have been able to raise all this money from uh, these shareholders. So, uh, no, but that, 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 that wasn't the way he painted it, though. We we know that 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 wasn't the way. No, he, he actually did. Right? Let me let me correct you there. He said he sees a bigger application called X App, where you know he's going to create a new uh, financial company. He's going to embed other features, and it will be the highly high, highest profitable uh, social media app so you know just uh, please don't say that he bought it for fun that's not correct and he didn't buy it for fun i mean he himself told me that the reason he bought this is because he believes free speech is essential for the future of mankind without free speech there's no democracy there is no going to mars or you know getting off this rock <laughs> right we have to elevate ourselves and without free speech without I twitter am... as a platform for free speech None of this is going to happen. Humanity is doomed, essentially. And his neural network. Yeah, I'm much said, more inclined to believe Cam's but, version but he, he, uh, than than the free speech because there is no free speech on Twitter. There's freer speech, but no free speech. Yeah, I mean, but but to the point of free speech, to Ian's point of free speech, right? I mean, free speech in some cases could be a detriment to you know large corporations or the government that want to paint a certain narrative, right? So, I mean, I, I get I get what you guys are saying, but if it was solely as, you know, a business that he's trying to increase the valuation, none of this would be happening right now because this well, pisses off a lot of powerful no people major, with a lot of money. There was no major platform no, uh, that hundreds of millions of people used that wasn't fully captured. That was the problem. Credibility and free speech in a world where everyone is getting censored and the news media is unreliable is actually a really powerful, unique selling proposition. For Elon to do this, it's amazing advertising for Twitter because why would you want to be on any of the other platforms that don't take free speech as serious as Twitter? It's, uh, you know, and, and for citizen journalism and all these features that are coming out uh, for Twitter, what Elon is doing here, um, you know, he's saying we are the better alternative to the other big tech companies that are going to continue to censor you. Yeah, Kim, de def definitely agree with your point. But at the same time, brother, it's I mean, it it's it's a great marketing tool for people, for the average person, right, for users, not for large corporations or governments who want to paint narratives, who thrive by painting narratives, right? So it's, you know, I, I agree, but at the same time, it's, uh, I don't know. Well, well, I mean, we just have to wait to see how this the goes. narratives can compete, right? He doesn't just want to have one narrative that's controlled by one political party. He is opening this up to a, a fair fight. And that's why we have the these roundtables right here. We try our hardest to get, you know, an equal argument from both sides without well, censorship. Sides, right? I mean, it's a free market out here and it just so happens that his views on capitalism and he is a capitalist, make no mistake, do fall in line with free speech. There's no reason why these things need to be at odds with each other. If anything, capitalism benefits from having a free market. Without capitalism, without a free market, there is no capitalism. There's only monopoly, right? And and that is... Ian. What? Yes? How how is Elon? Uh, so I'm wondering a question for you is like how is it free speech on Twitter right now? I, like I said, there's freer how speech. How is it? So, so, so what's your what what limitations do you see, Catherine? 
Well, there's still TOS. There are people being suspended. Uh, I just talked to someone who just got suspended for three days. Um, there's several other accounts who were suspended. So there isn't really like free speech. Do you know? But do you know why? You know why yeah. Suspended? So I think free speech is. Yeah. So, so maybe no it's free. Yeah, yeah I mean, so, stupidity, so stupidity is still a thing. It will always be a yeah, thing, right? If you're, get, if you're getting like banned, and banned in the new Twitter, certain kinds of speech, you know, the new you know, Twitter atmosphere, I mean, goes against the law, stupid. right? It goes against the law when, when a right. person harasses no, somebody did, else. It was nothing that went against the law. I, I, so, I, yeah. I would also I, add that the rules are easy to manipulate. Currently, as I don't know if you've been following this thread on a number of users who were suspended for calling out transgender activists, they were suspended and and a person you know a, a trans activist was bragging about abusing the rules by repeatedly uh reporting these accounts uh, i don't know if you followed it but one of the twitter's the uh, uh, safety people was in the thread saying that this will be dealt with and that they have been abusing these rules and and in, in order to you know they, they have been circumventing what uh what elon has put in place and so moving forward they're trying to train their moderators to make sure that these accounts, you know, the, the ones that, that do these mass flagging campaigns will not be adhered to. And people who do uh, manipulate the system the way that these transgender activists do will be suspended. And immediately afterwards, uh, the account that they got suspended, the accounts that they got suspended were reinstated. And those transgender activists were actually banned, permanently banned for violating this rule. So, you know, it, it is a work in progress, I will say. It's it's not something that's going to happen overnight. This is a lot of people they have to train. There's like a thousand moderators out there who, you know, may be following the old rules. There may be bad actors within that group. We know this for a fact, you know. Uh, Elon has confirmed it, that there are bad actors working at Twitter, and they will be dealt with. But, you know, it's a work in progress. We can't just start saying, oh, there's no free speech on the platform because people are still being banned. Of course they're still being banned. Of course the rules are still being circumvented. But this is a work in progress and, and, and will be right. It, right like it, it's not something that's just going to happen overnight it's unfair to say oh there's no free speech yet it's like so therefore it's a it's a lost cause it's obviously not a lost cause if it Catherine, was it's, it, you know it's it, 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 the way i see it to to you know put it in a nutshell compared to what we had before we now have a way better situation medical experts can talk about science they can criticize uh, the vaccines uh, you know where previously people who had an opinion that wasn't uh, what the government wanted were just kicked off the platform or lost their jobs and there are many many different examples where twitter has now opened up and allows these people to speak uh, for example also about the ukraine war look how the voice has changed of this war, right? Everyone used to have the Ukrainian flags. I don't see them anymore. I don't see, you know, only pro-Ukrainian propaganda on Twitter. I see uh, the other side being heard as well and raising, uh, you know, valid points about this proxy war. There are so many improvements on Twitter to say, uh, you know, that it isn't perfect is fair because it's a work in progress, like Ian said, but the improvements are very visible, and I'm actually enjoying Twitter again. Can I just I jump in? All AI based. Just yeah, one second. So, just quickly, guys, I, I just want to ask you a question from the audience. Um, uh, by the way, Catherine, another thing to add as well, that you can still pay people to get someone's account banned. We had someone reach out to us a few days ago, and apparently Logan and Jake Paul and Shelby Messages um, his account is Crypto King, and there's a whole story 
about them and they paid to get his account suspended which I think is still suspended so the flaws are still there and I think they'll remain there um, but in terms of being freer yes um, but I would, I would say like that's as close as we can get to free speech without breaking rules and, and there's a lot of regulations to follow I do want to ask a question to maybe kick it off with Kim and, uh, Kim and Ian is uh, a few people in the audience are asking like do you see this impacting other social media platforms we did have Mark Andreessen in the space before say other social media platforms and he's on the board of Facebook are watching the Twitter quote-unquote experiment closely do you think that we could see similar changes on those fronts yes because Twitter yes. and Elon are opening a door here uh, to the kind of truth that we have to expect at the other big tech companies as well. I mean, it's naive to think that this was only happening at Twitter, but not at Facebook and Google and the others. And I think what the big tech companies are most worried about with all of these releases is that court action will follow. Uh, there will be investigations into this. They will all have to answer questions uh, to the new Congress, and it's going to get really, really hot for them. So, you know, it's, it's going to be quite interesting how they're going to behave in the future, because what's at stake for them is their market share in the social media space, right? The more people understand that the censorship has been going on, not just at Twitter, but at all big tech companies, they will be asking, well, what are you doing now to change that? How are you better than Twitter? Or why shouldn't we all just move over to Twitter? So the pressure is definitely on. And do you see this impacting? So with the files right now, we haven't seen much impact, but do you see, I want to ask that question to Tom as well. I'll try to ping him back in. Do you see anything, any repercussions from those Twitter files drop? The media has kind of ignored it. Um, any potential legal action put, uh, against Twitter, for example? Yeah, there are some AGs uh, that have filed uh, cases. You know, uh, the House is uh, starting investigations uh, into it. So, you know, even with the mainstream media being relatively quiet about it, those who matter and who can take action are taking action. And I wouldn't be surprised if Elon himself is going to take some action. Uh, you know, he, he's basically been lied to by Twitter shareholders and the Twitter board. None of this was uh, known to him when he bought the company. So I think he has grounds to sue uh, for a significant reduction of his purchase price and for damages. Uh, and, you know, he will probably participate in any of the hearings that are going on to provide provide more transparency and all of that is just going to mount and mount and mount it doesn't matter that the mainstream media is not reporting it people are still getting it through through alternative sources and these sources are growing significantly by the way quarter after quarter you just look at the numbers of engagement with uh, these other companies look at the media companies how they are losing viewers and readers and subscribers left right and center so so there's definitely a change uh, happening here and it's happening rapidly. And these companies that are, have participated in similar kind of censoring activities like Twitter, they will have to come clean and they will have to make uh, promises to their users or else they're going to go down the drain. Yeah, you know, that's, that's interesting. Um, you, you recall one of the fights that Musk had prior to the purchase that led to that spate of litigation was he sought information on pot uh, bots, which they refused to provide to his satisfaction. 
But I think more interestingly, uh, from a public policy perspective, as we're now learning, was their censorship documents and how they were managing that. And they refused uh, to provide virtually anything on that, as best I could tell. And that was one of the reasons he didn't want to go forward. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, the, the civil liability ramifications of this are are, are pretty uh, enormous uh, and certainly Musk probably has a lot of legal opportunities to pursue, as Kim suggests, if he so chooses. In the end, that's a business decision, right? Uh, and he may decide it's not good business just to get involved in litigation like this. But my gosh, what, you know, th- this to me had a material impact on the value of the company, uh, which is uh, disclosing that they were colluding perhaps illegally with the government to uh, censor Americans in violation of their terms of service, uh, at odds with testimony to Congress, at odds with what they were telling shareholders at the time and potential purchasers like Musk. Uh, you know, if we had an honest, uh, federal agent, fa- honest federal agencies, There'd be criminal investigations and other investigations into what Twitter knew, what, you know, what Twitter was doing at that time and what the other companies are doing now. But, you know, because it benefits Biden, the rule of law is out, it's thrown out the window. If they actually went into litigation about this, this would be a benefit in terms of the purchase. Look at what it's done for his usership and viewership, not a damage. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the attention he'll get from litigation. You mean? Go ahead, Nelson. Yeah, brother. Um, I mean, listen, right? He, he, here's what I believe: Elon's going against the grain, you know, which is something that's never ha- never been done before by any of these social media companies, right? Especially due to the fear of repercussion, right? These, I mean, the U.S. government can make life difficult for any of these companies. I mean, look at what they're doing to TikTok. Right. And these companies have investors. Right. They have a board. They, they need to make money. They need to increase the valuation. They're scared. Look at the emails from the previous Twitter files with the executives once the senators started rambling. Right. I mean, it, they were scared. They had to do something internally about the Russia stuff. Right. And, you know, just going back to, you know, the conversation with Kim, I mean, definitely, definitely understand where you guys are coming from. But I mean, in a, in a TED conference in April. Elon did say that owning Twitter is not a way to make money. And he did say, I don't care about the economics at all. And in my opinion, that's why I believe he's going against the grain. Right. So this this free, you know, free speech, whatever narrative that, you know, he's trying to push here. It benefits the people. It benefits us. Right the users start trusting Twitter more. But when it comes to the government, I mean, that's, that's a completely different story. Everybody else, you know, Zuckerberg and the rest of these guys, they're waiting to see what happens to Elon, right? If it backfires on Elon. And if it doesn't, I'm pretty sure that they're going to start, you know, emulating the same thing as well. So, I mean, 100%, I mean, you guys are all correct, but I just wanted to throw that in there for sure. I think Elon is uh, taking a Fox News approach, you know. Uh, when, um, when he uh, started Fox News, uh, uh, I forget the gentleman name that died now. Uh, the, 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 Roger Ailes? Yeah, L, uh, Roger Ailes. He decided to go with the right. He decided because uh, Murdoch wanted to be like all the other uh, news uh, networks. And Elon, I think, is being smart. He, he, he's doing this. Fox News is, is still the, the number one top cable news 
uh, in the country. Okay, uh, it beats out CNN, M- uh, M- I mean, yes, uh, CN- I mean MSNBC, uh, and all those other ones. So uh, I think he's going to be successful, and I think Twitter's going to be very successful. And it's, and it's a it's a play, and I see where he's going with it. But once again, uh, he has taken an alienate. I think he's alienating a, a whole bunch of people uh, that have used Twitter. That came, I mean, Twitter became like I mean, I would watch a fight, and I would go to Twitter. You know, and see what people were saying. I, if I watch something live, I want to see. It was like uh, you know having a bunch of friends in the living room. It's not that way no more. We got a bunch of people that's on the right, on the right that's that's here crying about you know how they've been. Uh, are, you, are you Jonathan? But, are, you, are you seeing people from the left leave Twitter? Because I, 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 I heard that people left and came back or said they would leave and didn't really leave. Did you see that? Yeah, that, that, know, that, that, that too. That, that's what I no, that's what I, that's what I've seen. But what you know, even that's today, like when Tom was saying of the people who said you know. Like a lot of people said they're going to leave, right? 250,000 people said they're going to leave. Only less, only less than 0.5% of them actually left. And they went to Mastodon, which is, uh, according to recent reports, is an even worse place than Twitter when it comes to child sexual exploitation and all that stuff. It's kind of funny how NBC News publishes this article very recently uh, last week claiming that Twitter, uh, you know, has not been dealing with the child sexual exploitation issue uh, quite as much as they claim to have been. And yet, they have completely neglected to talk about Mastodon's ongoing issue with pedophilia for years and years and years and years and years, and no one cares about it. Somehow, it's just a weapon against uh, against Twitter, right? People only seem to care if it's about Twitter. But regardless of you know, that's that's irrelevant, right, to what you're saying. But point is, all these people who claim to have left to Mastodon, they're back here because they don't they don't have an audience on these other websites. Look at George Takei, right? Like he left Twitter supposedly to have a Mastodon account and yeah, he's active there. But guess what? He's also active here. He hasn't left. None of these people are leaving. They just love to claim that they're leaving because it's like the virtual signaling thing to do. It's like I'm leaving Twitter. Look at me. I'm I'm such a brave crusader against Elon Musk. And it's like, "Oh, well, you're not. You're still active on here because you can't get an audience <laughs> elsewhere." Who gives well, a shit how about how's Mastodon, Mastodon? How, how's Mastodon and are they both? So Mastodon he said is doing shit. The metrics are shit. Is how's Truth doing? It's been there it's for garbage. a while. It's garbage. It's like it's, yeah. it's out at like four million people, <laughs> and those are just people who follow Donald Trump. No one uses it for anything else. It's an echo chamber. There's it's no fun there. It's just QAnon people posting boomer memes. It's not interesting. It's like it's worse than Facebook in that regard. Nobody wants to use it. Sort of what Twitter's becoming. No, it's not. No, it's not. I mean, no. it's not like that. Listen, that's bullshit. What did you? What did you say, Jonathan? I said Twitter. What Twitter's becoming? Twitter's because becoming everything. a QAnon oh. space. No, it's not. It's that's ridiculous. Like there is so much pushback against QAnon nonsense over here that it's not a thing. Like, yeah, they do exist. Those people always exist. Any platform they go to, you're gonna find circles of leftists saying their own stupid bullshit. People on the far right saying the stupid bullshit doesn't matter, right? They're they're insular echo chambers. Doesn't really matter. But at least they're on Twitter. On Tumblr, on the other hand, you know, you have all these fandoms still quarreling over nonsense no one cares about, and they're irrelevant. Nobody talks about this latest drama on Tumblr that just happened or this latest drama on Mastodon. Nobody cares about it. People are always reporting on Twitter. Look at what the young people are doing, right? It's either TikTok or Twitter. What what are journalists writing about? Entertainment journalists, media journalists, uh, people in the, the tech industry. They're all on Twitter. Something big happens, it happens on Twitter. Twitter knows about it before anybody else. If if uh, Jake Paul goes uh, you know goes on some rampage against KSI or something, where is it happening? It's on Twitter. Logan Paul has drama recently, right? I don't know if you guys have been following, but he uh, he's been alleged to have like scammed a bunch of people with some crypto thing. You know where is that blowing up? 
It's blowing up on Twitter. You can't go to Tumblr for that. Nobody on Mastodon talking about it. They're talking about it on Twitter. And guess what? You know, all these websites, you know, the CNN and NBC News and BuzzFeed, they'll, they'll be reporting on his tweets on Twitter and what people are saying to him on Twitter. Twitter is the center of attention, and it always will be. Yeah, and, and by the way, the, the other, just to put a, a, a an explanation point on that, I mean, it's it's far superior in its overall design uh, from from a tech perspective than anything true social or any of the other ones are ever going to come to. Mastodon's just another way to do Discord, pretty much. And again, that's limited to who you can get to bring into your minimized space and, and people will run to you if they want to. Here, you still have this dynamic. You can put something out there. People can engage with it. It can get expanded upon, which is happening more now. I mean, my engagement I is just crazy. It's not just because of maybe being on a Twitter space. I'm just seeing engagement like crazy just on things that I post. It, 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 this is the place people go to get information. That's why George Take can't go over to Mastodon because he can't. He One, he doesn't even understand how to use it. This is user a user-friendly environment where people can actually engage and play around, and it's, it's gonna, never going to change. Uh, Ian, I have a question for you. We we talked about the concerns in the in the concentration of power among social media platforms, but that concentration is still there with Elon. He's doing the right thing now, but let's say Elon sells it to someone else. The concentration of power is still there. So long term, do we have a solution? Like Elon's doing the right thing now with Twitter, but what about in 20 years from now? I think that's a bridge to cross when we arrive at it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, go ahead. I see your hand up, Nelson. Go ahead, man. Yeah, bro. I, I just, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if you, you're trying to pivot, but I just wanted to add: if oh, anyone goes in their app store right now on your iPhones, Twitter is the number one news app in the world right now. The number one most downloaded news app in the world right now. That's a big deal. So Twitter is rolling. It's steaming. No one's leaving the platform. It's steaming ahead. But the only thing is. The only entity that can put a dent to that is the government. So, again, right, we need to wait and see what happens. We need to see if there's going to be any pushback towards Elon or Twitter. And, you know, it's going to be in an interesting 2023 for sure. But, I mean, that's the only entity that could slow this train down, in my opinion. Uh, BJ Ditcher, go ahead, man. Hey, brother. Uh, just a couple of things. One on uh, legacy media and on Twitter. So the first point, uh, just for context, I was a spokesperson for the Canadian Trucker Convoy and did the media strategy for us. And one of the things I intentionally did was I banned publicly on Twitter legacy media. And I focused on alternative media. Post Millennial was invited to our pressers, Rebel News, National Telegraph, Epoch Times, you name it. And I knew given the the way corporate media works, all they were going to do is come in and call us names and they weren't going to listen to us. And then they weren't going to get any of you. So what's the point? Whereas I could go on Steven Crowder and Jordan Peterson and all these other alternative media platforms and I knew I could target 100 million views in that first week, which we did, which is why it went global. And the legacy media was so angry <laughs> when they showed up to my hotel and there was about 200 of them in the lobby. And I sent one of our team down and said, here's the list 
of media that's allowed, everybody else tell them to go home. And you know what? It worked. So this is a good sign. And where has that evolved to? I've spoken to uh, Dr. Peterson many times since the, uh, the convoy. The conversation we had in October, he was explaining to me that, you know, we have in Canada, we had a leadership race going on in the Conservative Party. I don't want to get political here, but just as an example. And he said to me, you know what? Even people in politics now realize you were right. And they have allocated their entire budget for the next election to alternative media because legacy media is not going to give anybody a fair shake and they don't get the views. There's no credibility. So this is all good things. And this is why we have these spaces now where many of us probably five years ago would not have been talking to each other because we're on the opposite sides of the political spectrum. But here we are. We're now engaging because the legacy media has lost all credibility. And then the other quick thing on Twitter, um, you know, yesterday I was posting a bunch of tweets and all of a sudden a bunch of people started taking snapshots and showing me your tweets are being blocked again for whatever reason. You know, it puts up the filter saying you cannot be seen. That's just growing pains, man. I, maybe it's a software issue or whatever it is. Uh, he's trying to rebuild the company. It's going to take time. So we're all going to bump into these, you know, glitches and bumps along the road. And we just got to be patient as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, I and more to add to your point, look at what DeSantis' team is doing. The same thing. They're not inviting the legacy media. They're yeah. not doing interviews at the Washington Post. And the Washington Post is getting really mad about it. Wrote an article about how mad they were that DeSantis wouldn't give them the time of day. Instead, they gave us, Rebel News, the time of day. We got an exclusive interview with Ron DeSantis. That, because they realized that they're not going to reach the audience they want through the Washington Post. They're going to reach it through social media. They're going to reach it through alternative influencers or, or just influencers in general. Because we're the ones talking and to the people. We're the ones reporting on the truth. You know, we're, we don't have this weird narrative that, you know, that's just going to end up condemning DeSantis or condemning the Freedom Convoy. We just want to report about what's really happening because that's what the people want. They just want the truth, you know, and, and, and people are slowly and, realizing that. And it's... And it's interesting you say that because after the convoy, after I got my cast off, because I broke my ankle during the convoy, I went to speak at the Bitcoin conference about what we did with Bitcoin during the convoy. And some people from Mar-a-Lago wanted to meet with me. So I met with a bunch of them a number of times. And they have worked both on the, you know, the Trump end of things, on the DeSantis end of things, and helping with fundraising or whatever. We spoke about exactly that. And I said to them, listen, Look what we did in, in Canada. You don't need legacy media. Ignore it. Because if you know, ignore it, ignore them, then they get angry. And once they get angry, then they start chasing you. And there was one other benefit, and then I'm going to shut up. I knew, I mean, Ian, you know how intellectual property works in journalism, right? I knew if they did not have the opportunity to sit down with us face-to-face -face in a media scrum, that would deny them of the intellectual property of their B-roll footage to constantly smear us every day like they did in the, with January 6th. And it worked because now there was only one press conference where the legacy media snuck in, and that's the only footage they have. And the post-millennial actually told me in one of, our, uh, one of the interviews, they said it was hysterical that when we were doing your interviews, your, your live streams, the legacy media had to come to our feed and log into our feed to report on it.
So you know what? Just ignore them, move forward, and the truth will get out eventually, right? So guys, uh, I think we've we've covered the, the files pretty well. Kim, Ian, what do you guys expect in the next drop? Like we've seen it kind of escalate since the beginning and the story shifted a bit. Initially, we started blaming Twitter. Then now we start blaming the FBI. Now we've got senators involved. What do you expect in the next drop? Kim, you want to go first? Well, I don't know what the next drop is going to be. I just uh, think, uh, you know, there's so much material... I wouldn't be surprised if we still get, uh, you know, quite a few more Twitter files. But uh, even if we wouldn't, what is already out there is so powerful and it's going to change things in a big way that most people can't really see right now. But when you look at what's going to happen with, you know, house investigations, with uh, uh, some of the AGs already bringing cases against uh, the, the government and the Democratic Party and, you know, like all the all the things that are uh, the aftermath of this are already enough to, you know, bring significant change in, in the next uh, couple of years. Uh, and, you know, I'm looking forward to whatever else uh, Elon has to release and also what he's going to do with Twitter. You know, I think we're on a, on a pretty good track here. Okay, as for me, Ian? Um, well, going by what Matt Taibbi suggested, this is part one of more drops. So there's going to be more Russiagate stuff coming soon. Uh, that's going to be very interesting. And as uh, Kim himself said uh, just now, uh, this is going to lead to a lot of uh, uh, investigations. Uh, we've already seen this with Eric Schmidt's investigation into Twitter and the collusion with the, uh, the federal government. Uh, we got a, you know, a, a drop of Facebook files, so I recommend checking out uh, Michael Schellenberger's uh, Twitter feed, where he posted one of the files that was released uh, by uh, AG Eric Schmidt. Uh, that's part of the Missouri versus uh, the Biden thing. Uh, very interesting stuff. And moving forward, we're going to see the uh, the church style, uh, uh, what do you call it, committee being formed in the uh, the House, right? And and it's got some good people on board. You know, it's got a uh, uh, Thomas Massey in there, and we can trust that man to actually get to the bottom of things. So we're going to see we're going to see more revelations here, and it's not just going to be from Twitter. This has opened up a whole can of worms that none of this would have been possible. There would not be a church style committee to investigate Biden or the three letter agencies. None of this would be happening if it wasn't for Elon Musk, if it wasn't for him deciding to declassify all of this information that we're getting right now, right? So, yeah, I know it's a bit slow, and you know what? Uh, it's better than just releasing everything at once because we're not going to be able to trawl through all of it. There's a lot of stuff here to go through, and you do need eyes on it. And, you know, some things I would agree with a lot of the uh, criticism that's been levied towards him in that, you know, we need maybe larger teams of journalists walking in there and, and going through all of the Fauci files. I think that is very important. And that, that is something that I believe, uh, you know, Barry Weiss and the rest of them are working on right now. It'd be nice to see it soon. Uh, but, you know, I would say be patient. And, and this stuff is a, a work in progress. It's developing. So, you know, don't lose heart. Don't think, oh, just because the media is not covering it, therefore it's irrelevant. It's absolutely relevant. You have to make it relevant. You have to keep talking about it. You have to keep focused on it. And, and just don't be disheartened. Just because CNN's not covering it doesn't mean it's irrelevant. Because... As BJ pointed out earlier, the media is going to come to it eventually because they're going to have to talk about it. They can't keep hiding this, right? This is not something that they can contain. They no longer own the space. They no longer own journalism. Journalism belongs to the people. And, and this is, is at the heart of what journalism actually is, right? The journalism is about citizens uh, speaking up and speaking the truth and, and speaking truth to power. 
right? This is what journalism is supposed to be about. This is what it has always been about. And yet, you know, it's been taken over, but no longer, right? Elon has given us uh, this, this, this massive road forward and it's up to us to walk down that path, right? And, and, and actually seek the truth. And so, you know, thank you, Elon Musk is, is what I would say. And uh, I think we should, uh, we're getting a lot of people messaging us to cover the special counsel appointed to investigate Biden. So that could be an interesting topic for next, uh, for next breath. How serious do you think that, that, those, oh, uh, that appointment is? As Tom said, it's, it's going to be massive. Well, anyone who has been appointed by the Biden DOJ as a special counsel is not going to do shit. Yeah, unfortunately. But, but there is a reason why they appointed a special counsel and it's not the AG investigating uh, the, the the case himself, right? And and as Tom pointed out, uh, Biden has essentially opened the door for these investigations to even happen to him because they took away the protections that Trump had, and now Biden is at the receiving end of it. This is brilliant. I think that Biden, you know, the walls might actually be closing in on him. We'll have to see, right? We have to wait and see. But I I, I have a I have a good feeling. The, the, so. the only reason that I see why this could potentially become problematic for Biden. It's because the Democratic Party is fed up with him. They want to get rid of him. Uh, they they don't want him to run again in 2024. The guy is a liability to the Democratic Party at this point. Yeah, I think that they don't have uh, no one. We don't want to see him run in 2024. But guys, this is totally different than what happened to Trump. Biden's attorney immediately contacted the uh, National Archive to pick up the documents. Trump had to be raided to get the documents. You know so why that is, when we're looking right, at... Jonathan? It's because the, the is, House yeah. has been taken over it's by the Republicans. Right so even if they didn't do it, like, look, if they didn't do it, the House would come to them and then they would be in serious trouble. They'd be in jeopardy for, for hiding these things. Now, if the Democrats actually won the House, there would be no such thing. No one would be talking about this right now. There would be no re revelations whatsoever. They did this to, 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 to hit the Republicans ahead of the, uh, of the past, right, to beat them to the punch, basically. That's what they did. That, they're afraid. This thing really does hurt him. But wait, Ian, I agree. Ian, I agree with you. But what, let me just say this right here. First and foremost, uh, when, when you look at what's, what's taking place here, once again, this is not, I mean, it, I'm not going to call it nothing burger because it is. But, but Biden did the right thing. And, and as a Democrat, I'm going to tell you, I'm disappointed that they found this out before the election and waited to ask the election. I'm not, I'm not here proposing that there be two sets of rules, you know, uh, one for us and one for them. It should be one set of rules. Now, with that being said, there is a policy in place that the DOJ has in place where you don't say anything like 90 days before an election or something like that uh, against you don't announce anything. So if that's what they're going off of, I can understand that. But as someone that is I, and I, I'm on the left, I don't know if you guys noticed that or not, but I, I tend to lean left. But oh, we definitely no, no way. With that being said, with that being said, it put a it put a nasty taste in my mouth when I realized that uh, you know they waited not only until after the election but after the new uh, new Congress was sworn in before they put this out there. Okay, uh, so you know I'm not here booty clapping as they would say for Biden and this administration, but I will say that they did turn these documents over right away. They did not have uh, you know allegedly they did not have to have you know uh, a raid to uh, go and get these documents. That's a big difference. So uh, kudos for that. Love it. All right, guys. I think we'll, we'll we'll probably look into covering this in the next uh, in the next space. 
Um, we've got a few people to invite to the to the to the panel. Uh, we were going to do a space on the CPI data today. I just don't think it's worth it. We've done this already, so uh, we'll take a break. And uh, tomorrow we've got another space on. Um, I think Andrew Tate, Vice. Anyone listening, following the Andrew Tate story, Vice is dropping a documentary. Uh, Sam, you've been watching that documentary on Andrew Tate, no? The the updates from Vice and the recordings. Yeah, they've they've leaked one or two um, things, which I'm sure that. Tate supporters won't be too happy with um but it's pretty incriminating it's it's pretty incriminating incriminating. Um, yeah i mean there's no defending this no i I agree i mean documentary goes um goes out tonight at 11 p.m est so that's going to be the middle of the night for most of us so i think we're scheduled for 2 p.m tomorrow est is that right i think so yeah I'll, i'll tweet out the link i'll tweet out the link Cool. Yeah. All right, I'm uh, off to have dinner. Before we break this up, uh, Stella Assange is in the room. She's listening. She has been listening for a while. Uh, and just a reminder, Julian Assange is still in jail. He shouldn't be in jail. Uh, you know, he, he has done great journalism. And just a reminder to everyone to redouble your efforts to support him. Thank you. I agree. Yep. Thanks for the shout out, Kim and Stella. Um, you know, welcome to to kind of give updates on the story. Maybe in a few weeks' time, uh, you're always welcome, and appreciate you being here. Thank you, everyone, for joining. See you for the next job. Love you all. Bye, everyone. And good to have you back, Kim.